I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> the Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, and Fast and Furious. One race, 2G buy it, win it takes all. I don't have any cash, but I do have the pink slip to my car. You brave, you brave. You're in. On the street, where reputations are made. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. In a world beyond the law. We drive like we've done this before. We've done ever. If you have what it takes. You want a beer? Yo, Dom, why'd you bring that fool here? Because he kept me out of handcuffs. You can have it all. My brother likes you. Usually he doesn't like anybody. But when rivalries are a way of life... I thought we had an agreement. You stay away, I stay away. When loyalty is all that matters... You don't know this punk, Dom. Watch your back. You break her heart, I'll break your neck. Would you be willing... Yeah, stick by me. Maybe. To risk everything. Okay, folks, this is a bold experiment. Can Sharon and I go deep on movies perceived to be entirely veneer? Or if not deep, can we find something really worthwhile in them? Neil Taylor of Gameburst has joined in to help us review the sextet of Fast and Furious movies, which just happen to be some of his favorites. Hello, Neil. Hello. And we're going to keep this one very simple in terms of format. We're going to go with each movie, what we don't like, what we do like, and our favorite cars. There's cars. And girls. And some and guns. And some guns, but mostly cars. Lots and lots of cars. It is car porn. It, it, it is. It is more car porny than Top Gear. It's more car porny than Transformers, and that's saying something. It's. Is it less offensive than Transformers? Oh, yes. That's it's why we're doing it. less offensive than <laughs> yeah, Transformers. Yeah, after all those Transformers movies, I was like, you know, the Fast and Furious is going to be a little less bad now. And it totally was less bad. In fact, uh, one of them coming up felt very much more like a Transformers movie, and I was turned off by that. But we'll see which one that was. Okay, so we'll start in 2001 with The Fast and the Furious, directed by Rob Cohen. A little indie picture costing only $38 million, which proved to be an immense success and uh, raked in $207 million and started a franchise that is at least going to hit seven and most likely just continue on. Um, I suppose just sort of put yourself back in the world to 2001. Uh, Gone in 60 Seconds had just come out. What did you think of that one? Uh, I loved that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm a sucker for car films, especially car films that use 
real cars and do a lot of the real car chases. I remember there was either an Empire or a Total Film Review that was talking about um, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, who directed that? Oh, I can't remember that. Um, uh, I know it's yet one of those films where Christopher Eccleston won't talk about because he generally doesn't. He, he loves everything he's in up until it's released and everyone goes, oh, we really like that. And he goes, yeah, I didn't. Dominic Sainer. There's a point where uh, Angelina Jolie asked Nicolas Cage, so uh, what do you prefer, having sex or boosting cars? And ba- behind the camera, Dominic Sainer's is going, oh, it's got to be boosting cars, yes! Strip the hood! Uh, because that is similarly directed in kind of this, this, this loving way of uh, automobiles. And uh, I, you know what? I kind of respond to that level of enthusiasm sometimes. You want to know a sad fact? Mm-hmm. I own two versions of that film. <laughs> What's the I, other version? I own Gone in 60 Seconds mm. and the director's cut. Gone in 30 seconds. <laughs> so, surely it would be Gone in 120 seconds. Basically, uh, the no, funny thing is... that would be slow. they get caught by the police. Ah. Basically, the director's cut is, you know all the deleted scenes, they just put that back in. Oh. You're actually not really missing that much. But okay. yeah, I just thought, I love that film so much, I bought it twice. So it's more Gone in 67 seconds. Yes. Okay. I mean, you know, we, we've, we've bought... Um, similar uh, the, the director's cut of Fantastic Four there's you know a what director's cut? <laughs> there is a director's cut it's, it's, oh, it's not fantastic I suppose it's not Ironically. as bad as my obsession with a certain uh, Ridley Scott film that has multiple cuts that I own all of Kingdom of Heaven oh god no no the other Ridley Scott film Alien which has multiple cuts no. sorry Gladiator no you sorry. know which one we're just not invoking the name because Legend Hang on, do you not talk about Blade Runner? Because it's like the Scottish play. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think my love for that film is quite well known. We're slightly off track here. Kind of like the Fast of the Furious. Okay, right. L- let's not beat about the bush here. This is Point Break, folks. The yes. whole thing is Point Break. I-, I, don't know, I-, I don't know if I went in not knowing if it was Point Break or not, or that there was a point when I was like, oh my God, this is it's totally hot. Point Break. I, I am so. an FBI agent. Uh, my sad fact is I have never seen Point Break. You've never seen Point Break? I, well, technically oh, dude, I have seen it's half the Fast of and the Furious. <laughs> Imagine the Fast and the Furious, but with Keanu Reeves. You've now seen Point Break. Well, I, I mean, I'm Patrick Swayze. Yeah, Paul Walker was was ultimately riffing on uh, Keanu Reeves' performance in that anyway. Uh, but in all seriousness, I, I, I watched. Jesus fucking Christ! It's a cockroach the size of a thumbnail. <laughs> what? I am not joking. It just flew in. Hold on. <laughs> Now, this is a backstage gonzo bit. It'll be some kind of beetle or other. I'm so waiting for the girly scream. I'm waiting for him to ask me to come down and deal with it. (laughs) That's also true. (laughs) I am the official spider catcher in this house. That was almost as bad as the moth incident. Oh. Remember the moth incident, Sharon? I remember the moth incident. Okay. um, So what was I saying? Right. Yeah. Okay. Point Break is the same structure all the way up until the end. Really, it's it's um it 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 has a different ending. And in fact, had Point Break had this ending, it could have we could be experiencing Point Break Seven right now. Mm, That's Catherine. Bigelow, isn't it? It is Catherine Bigelow. Bigelow, yeah. I think that the significant difference um, in what actually makes... I'm not going to say that... uh, I can't remember what it's called. The Fast and the Furious. I'm not going to say that the Fast and the Furious is um, better than Point Break. Is it? 
No, I'm not going to say that. But I think there are elements of it that I definitely prefer. And the comparison between uh, Bodhi and um, Dominic is one of the key elements. But we can come to that when we talk about what we liked. I'd say you can make a fine argument for the two being as good as one another, but in different regards. The, they're uh, both... From what I, I have seen like half a point break. From okay. what I remember, they're both very much films of their time as well. Yeah, very much. Um, it, point Break was just as the 90s began to open up with that, that kind of more high octane um, the extreme! extreme movie so uh, it's got a lot of uh, it's got surfing, it's got parachute jumping and um, there's that moment where uh, uh, Patrick Swayze is being chased down a bunch of houses and alleys and then Keanu Reeves falls down and hurts his leg and he holds him at gunpoint and he, but he loves him so much he just fires his gun up in the air and goes ah. That's brilliant, that bit. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, I watched it again recently. Bodhi, Patrick Swayze, is a lot less likable than Dominic Toretto. Yeah, that's something we'll get onto when we further on. But yeah. yeah. He's got a lot of kind of faux surfing mysticism. But when it comes down to it, he puts an ex-girlfriend and, and good friend of his in mortal danger, or at least apparently does, just to blackmail Johnny Utah. Um which basically means he's putting an innocent person's life on the line. And Dom will go out of his way to save innocent people. Mm. That's the fundamental difference. I think uh, Bodhi is inherently a very selfish and somewhat superficial person. But like you say, because he... Um, he's charismatic, so it kind of lulls you into a sense that he's just that cool. It does a little bit. But as Neil says, very much a product of its time. And at that time, people who espoused that philosophy and uh, you know appeared to follow that lifestyle and, and all the rest of it were kind of the in thing, I suppose. Yeah, it was. At the, that's what I mean by the time. It's very sensitive on a certain aspect that was going mm. that became popular at the time. The car culture sort of uh, side of things became quite popular, sort of early two thousands as well. So yeah, um, Dom, on the other hand, from like I said, it's been such a long time that I've only seen half the point break. Dom is a lot more likable, uh, but it also gives you. It tells you why. There's a lot of reasons. He, yeah. This film goes out of its way to tell you why Dom is the way he is. Yeah. Mm. I, I asked Sharon, now, can you tell me one thing about Bodhi that's not superficial? Because he never talks about himself, his past, his, uh, uh, his, his raison d'etre, aside from basically just getting the next big wave. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let, let's just set Point Break down and say, and say that this franchise started out as a Point Break remake of sorts. And uh, then introduced the, reintroduced the world in a PG-13 uh, rated scenario to Vin Diesel, who had just uh, been in Pitch Black. And that is an R-rated, absolutely brilliant film. Yes, they all are. I will even stick up for the second one, which I know is not great, but right. I do have fun with it. I literally cannot go with you on the they all are, Neil. I'm so sorry. But, uh, but yeah, Neil likes the second and third ones. So, folks, check them out at least for comparison's sake. If you don't like the second one, the third one is a lot closer to the original, so you might have more No, it's that. not. Hated <laughs> it. Hated it. It's pissing awful. In, in a kind... <laughs> I get what he means in, in that, like, structurally, it's similar, uh, and, and in terms of what actually happens, but, um, you know, we were going to do a bunch of uh, Riddick podcasts, and just we watched them all, and we actually watched them backwards. We watched Riddick first, then we went back and watched Chronicles, which I actually kind of prefer to Riddick now. 
Um, and then we went back and watched Pitch Black thinking, oh my God, has this aged and is it now terrible? No, it's brilliant. Love Pitch Black. Anyway, Vin Diesel, in that, and bearing in mind he also turned up in uh, a, a, a fairly brief role in Saving Private Ryan, and then turned up around, he was in Boiler Room, wasn't he? Wasn't that sort of yep. more of a sort of an indie uh, type film around that time? Um, and he was the Iron Giant, so this was his time. And then he was Triple X. And, I mean, the reason he wasn't in Too Fast, Too Furious is he was asked, do you want to do a sequel to Too Fast, Too, to, to The Fast and the Furious? Do you want to do a sequel to Riddick? Do you want, like, to pitch Basically, Black? the short answer, the thing was, he was asked, do you want to do sequels? He turned around and said, no. I could do one sequel and then The Pacifier, okay? That's the deal. <laughs> I've got to do The Pacifier. It's in my blood. I have seen that. Is it good? Of course it's not good. It's just Kindergarten Cop and Mr. Yeah, Nanny. Basically, it is, it is Kindergarten Cop, but nowhere near as funny. Anyway, um, so Vin Diesel, he is a powerhouse of charisma in this first one, in Pitch Black. Not so much in Triple X, because I think it's sort of like he'd begin to, begun to believe his own hype at that point for a little he while. He had also with Triple X. You know how I said this film is a product of its time? Triple mm. X is even more so. We need to kind of seize Triple X while we're talking about this. Sharon also wanted to watch Days of Thunder as well. Just in terms oh, God, of show, young... octane car racing type stuff. What was that quote you had uh, that attributed to? Um, Days of Thunder, right. It's it, just for a little bit of context, uh, Nicole Kidman and um, Tom Cruise have been having a relationship of sorts and he's confessed to her in a pillow talk moment that what he likes about racing is that he gets to be in control of something that's out of control. Then they have a fight and she basically, <laughs> bear in mind how tall Nicole Kidman is compared to Tom Cruise. This makes for a very funny scene. She throws him up against a wall and says, um, it, so you say, you want to control something that's out of control well let me tell you something that everyone else in the world automatically knows control is an illusion you infantile egomaniac nobody knows what's going to happen next not on an airplane not on a freeway not inside our own bodies and certainly not on a racetrack with 30 other infantile egomaniacs and it was one of the best scenes of my teenage years i, I don't want it. to see that now <laughs> I, will, I, just I, want to, I just want to see Tom Cruise being called an infantile egomaniac. Oh, can, it's magical. You can get a, <laughs> a, a double pack of that and Top Gun. We, for some reason, don't own Top Gun. I know if Tony's listening, we he'll kill us. We don't own Top Gun. My God. I was actually thinking Days of Thunder is kind of Top Gun with cars. Hmm. Sort of. Anyway. Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious. <laughs> We're so, doing our level best to talk about anything but the Fast and So Vin Diesel was in Triple X as well. And then he, he it was a rubbish experience, obviously, because he, he was uh, Ice Cube. Guilty was charged. In. I like that film too. <laughs> okay. Ice Cube was in the second one. No, no, no. We do not no speak of the second one. <laughs> we do not speak. Please. Okay. But we're going to watch, speak right, about right. Too Fast, Too Furious in just a moment, dude. If that doesn't exist, then Too Fast, Too Furious doesn't exist. Uh, 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 the timeline proves that it does. But <laughs> Okay, you watch Talk. Did you buy Ice Cube as a biker? At uh, this point, we talked about Talk, which is a uh, film by Joseph Kahn from uh, back in uh, 2004. It was uh, developed as uh, only known to him a parody of the Fast and Furious film. So he's sending the whole thing up. It's a satire. It doesn't actually function as a satire because it's mostly tedious the whole way through. The end is actually pretty hilarious, so I kind of like that. But if all you're doing is replicating, then that's not actually a satire. 
Khan was not in the studio's good books when they found out the whole thing had been a colossal joke and they had just bankrolled it uh, and spent many, many years unable to really helm a particularly well-known film. Uh, more recently, Khan went on to direct that Power Rangers anti-fan film, which uh, similarly was uh, intended as a satire, but I don't think he really understands what that word means. I thought it was vile. I'm sure plenty of people didn't. Okay, so Vin Diesel <laughs> is in the fast... Oh, for the love of God, no one's there. Okay. <laughs> We've been attacked by bugs and doorbells. Again, no one was there. Would you stop interrupting us? <sighs> okay, so Vin Diesel <laughs> is in The Fast and the Furious as Dominic Toretto. <laughs> also, Paul Walker. Now, Paul Walker sadly departed. When I found out he was dead, I, I, it hit me a lot harder than I thought it would. You know, that you, you don't think about Paul Walker dying. You know, you think that he's going to get to the like into his nineties or something and still be doing fairly crappy films. But um, no, make lots of money. <laughs> yeah, make, make lots of money. Uh, but he died, and then suddenly watching the Fast and the Furious again, which I went back and watched the first one just afterwards, I, I started getting really teared up. He's by no means the world's best actor or even best car driving actor, but he has this kind of blue eyed earnestness about him that makes he's he's a likable chap. And so him suddenly being snatched away in a car accident, no less, seems wrong. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um obviously being a fan of these films and stuff, I follow um all the guys from these films on Facebook and stuff. So when the accident happened, it was uh, you actually see the reaction of guys like Tyrese and yeah. Vin Diesel, and they were shattered. They they were broken. They they did for in essence lose a brother. They, and, and just the guy wasn't that particular. He was older than I thought because mm. he's one of those actors that just seems young. Yeah, and he's been in like uh, on average one film a year for uh, for most of his career. So he's he's been in a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but 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 yeah, I was I was really touched by uh, specifically Vin Diesel's uh, tweets uh, about him after that happened and how blindsided he was and how um, broken he uh, he was about it. And if you you don't even have to look very far to to see that the uh, Fast and the Furious, at least the first one, is about family in a way that Point Break never was. There's a there's a a, a lovely kind of slightly twisted family dynamic that exists between these um, the, these guys that I think is best exemplified after that. What's the Jane character called? Uh, Vince. Vince. Um, he, he gets in a fight and then he gets dismissed from the dinner table and then he comes storming back. Um, but then he's allowed to sit down and eat with them. And he just sort of leans in and um, pets Dominic on the head in this lovely kind of, um, I'm sorry, I was bad kind of way. And then they don't say anything about it and he moves in and sits down. And it's it's this kind of lovely forgiving moment. And they don't make a big deal of it because they're family. And that that is one of the things I took away from this uh, more than uh, any of the other ones that I've seen. That There's this kind of real... Um, warmth to it and that's completely different to a uh, point break because you don't really root for the surfer guys you you, you can't you like Bodie because he's charismatic but you don't know the other ones you sure as hell don't care about Rosie and Roach and that tall one <laughs> no because you're totally about Johnny and uh is it Skylar Tyler 
I've I've known for a long time Fast and the Furious is actually a solid movie that stands up, and I was lo- looking forward to seeing this one again uh, in, in the run up to the other ones. It, there's a, it's actually quite a tough act to follow because it holds up even today, even though it is very carry, uh, and it's <clears throat> let's not mince words. Like as soon as you get to the racetrack, it's just like sort of engine city, and they're all popping the hoods and staring at each other's machinery and going, which like to that. be fair is that culture. Yeah, and there's jiggling girls in hot pants bending over the cars and wiping them with dirty rags. And it's That's like, more the car magazine culture, yeah, I think. There you go, one. lads. You're welcome. And uh, that, that's, that takes up a good portion of the movie. Uh, but the actual races feel very kinetic, very frenetic, very speedy. Very. I mean, the, the, the first one that uh, he gets into with Dom is supposed to only last for 10 seconds, but it's got that real sort of sense of urgency uh, going the whole way through it. And shot, I think, in a way that was different for the time, because I know uh, I've listened to the director's commentary. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not much of a nerd. Um, uh, he, I'm glad someone did. He um, wants to do something different. That's why you get all the shots, like weaving inside the engine of the car and exploding out and weaving yeah. in between. So you Almost like David Fincher shots from Fight Club. Yeah. Sharon, anything on the racing? Well, I liked it. I, I think what, what threw me with this, I actually really enjoyed it much more than I expected to. And it kind of watching these films again has sort of made me realize how much I appreciate cars. Now, that might sound like a bit of an odd way to phrase it, but I don't know cars very well. I'm not particularly educated about the ins and outs of an engine but i grew up around cars my dad's an engineer and a a mechanic and he fixed all his own cars and my sister got really into it and i never did but um i don't understand sports films i don't understand setups where men bond over the ability to throw a pigskin or a rock from one end of a field to the other he's kicked Um, the ball to him now he's got the ball what's he gonna do with it is he gonna kick it Oh, he has. And apparently that's a good thing. Um, it, it basically, it, it baffles me. And one of the things about um, sports and particularly team sports, like uh, particularly ball games and things of that nature, is that you kind of need a particular physique to be able to do it well, or at least people, the way it's structured, you know, people expect you to be six foot six and, you know, built like a brick shit house if you're going to be a quarterback and things like that. A car kind of evens the playing field because it doesn't really matter how you're built what matters is how the car's built so whether you're male or female or whether you are um tiny or huge as long as you can fit in the damn thing Mm. um you know whether you have all your limbs or whether you have to have a car that's been specially adapted to you ultimately what counts is what the car is doing so I, i that i really like and i was kind of ticking back over all the things that i'd watched like Days of Thunder, for example, and um, Greece is another one. Even going back that far, that was one of the, the first films I ever saw. Literally, I can remember sitting in front of a tiny little black and white television watching Greece as a very small child. And the the guys connecting using their cars to express how they felt about each other, that just I don't I don't often see that in very uh stereotypically male oriented action movies and the more I I watched um the first one I I kept picking out all of these 
examples, if you like, of, of kind of how the masculine expressions of emotion or lack thereof and what that does to them as characters. And all of them have different repressions and different things that they can't express for different reasons. And it affects all of them in, in very different ways. So you've got um, how... Dom has pushed down his um, regret over what happened after his father's death. And you've got um, Jesse and how he's unable to express how he feels about his dad. The, the point of connection that he has with his father is the car. When he loses the car, he snaps. Um, you've got Vince and the fact that Vince can't string a sentence together about anything, let alone his own emotions, which is probably the reason why Mia never went for him. Um, but it, that doesn't make him a completely irredeemable character. And I just, there were all these, all these threads of, of connection and broken connection that they were trying to repair with each other, but using the cars to do that, mm. that I totally wasn't expecting to see. And it, it kind of blew me away a little bit. I love the uh, moment where Jesse's explaining about his. Uh, it it seems like he's uh, on the. He says he's got ADD, but he also seems to be on the autism spectrum. When he's he's talking about how he doesn't really get people, but he can just see engines and he can work out the you know the pieces on a car and where all that stuff should go. Principally because, as you said, everything has a, a purpose and everything needs to be in the right place. There's a mathematical property to a car and to an engine. They, they don't just add gaudy shit for no reason. And if they do, Jesse will be able to tell you, no, that's gaudy shit added for no reason. And Dominic's fear as well, his, uh, the, the fear of the... Uh, you know, Jesse and his father bond over this car, but uh, interestingly, the, the car that uh, links Dom and his father uh, terrifies him, and he, he keeps it around. He should have gotten rid of that thing years ago, but he keeps it with him. It's kind of like a, a, a millstone around his neck that he can't get rid of. He even has it. Doesn't he have it in uh, later films? Uh, yeah, it's a similar yeah. one. It, well, yeah. um, I think in four, they Letty finds the wreck of that car gotcha. and tries to fix it up for him. Ah, um, yes. But I think what, the way that came across to me was that um, basically Dominic is terrified of living up to his father yeah. because if he lives up to his father, then he dies. Yeah. And um, and I'm sure that, you know, there's there's other things around that as well, that if we had the time, we could deconstruct properly. But um, essentially that having his father's car, when they walk into the garage and they're walking around the car, I had um, uh, my father's gun playing in my head. Mm -hmm. um, and this idea that that again, that's his connection point to his. Uh, to his male role model, to the man that he has now spent his life trying to simultaneously become and avoid becoming. Mm. Um, and the the keeping of the car, in a way, is almost him constantly daring himself to become his father or not to become his father. And the wrecking of it at the end actually frees him in a way. It, yeah. it releases him from that circular... Um, emotional experience that he's been locked into since his father died. There's, a, there's quite a lot of father-related um, threads running throughout all these movies, actually. They, uh, you remember Tran in the first one, the, the villainous chap, um, 
a good way to humanize your uh, antagonist is to show who he is antagonized by and uh, obviously trans father is ashamed of him after the police raid and you know smacks him around and uh, then he goes out and kicks downwards there's uh, that turns up again in Tokyo Drift as well and we also find more about Walker's um, sorry Brian's father in Five, I think oh, it is. I haven't seen that one yet. Ah, we have We're, we're going to see uh, five yeah, there's, tonight there's, after this podcast and then six in the morning. You actually find more about Paul Walker's dad in five. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing plays out in the, in the, the usual sort of high steam. But everyone's seen it. Everyone's seen The Fast and the Furious. If you haven't, just go see it. It's totally worth watching. Uh, but we won't spoil the actual specifics of it. But, uh, you know, it's not a switch your brain off film that's the next one but um, it is a very enjoyable hour and 40 minutes and um, definitely stands the test of time I think the the structure of the race is being so short in mm. this as well. Uh, one of the things that I tend to get a little bit turned off by with um, action films is that they follow this pattern of basically evoking adrenaline mm. and then attempting to sustain that adrenaline for as long as possible. This is one of the reasons why Michael Bay's action films leave me completely cold mm. and dead because it's not possible to sustain adrenaline for that long, particularly not for me. My, my body and my... Uh, my mental state don't respond well to adrenaline at all um, whereas a lot of people it's something that makes them feel incredibly excited and it's something that they chase for me it, it makes me feel ill it literally makes me feel ill I feel sick and my head starts swimming and it's it's really really uncomfortable um, but because these bursts are so short I can just about sustain it to really get the um, the kick of um, the, the high if you like but it doesn't go on so long that I can't come down from it comfortably. And because it's got all these um, actually quite engaging character interactions going on around them, there's other things for those parts of my brain to latch onto mm. rather than them waving around in the breeze going, hello, we're totally bored here while you're sat there feeling ill. Um, which is, is why action films are really an incredibly unpleasant experience for me for the vast majority of the time. So it's, it is nice to find one like this that without me even having to try that hard actually has quite a lot of hooks to engage me with it's very well balanced if you actually looked at a chart of uh, sort of you know where your emotions would be uh, while watching the film it would just sort of go up as you began to engage more and more with the characters it would spike during the races just because they're exciting to watch but they're fairly short as you say but it just keeps going up and up until the point at the very end where it's brian versus dom racing towards the railway that's an actual sort of moment of I actually don't know what's going to happen here if you're seeing it for the first time. Especially if you've seen Point Break, you may be really, really worried about what's going to happen. Indeed. And they pull a nice trick on you on that one. Yes, they do. So I'm going to say it now. Uh, you... This is the film I didn't enjoy. Ah, really? The first one? Oh, my God. Now, bear in mind, I have watched this. I watched this film in the cinema when it came out, so I, I have a deep love this film. But going back to it. Really? I had a couple of problems with it. Okay. I'm not saying it's it's bad. I agree with a lot. Of, you said there's some really good stuff in there, but my problems are, I think, one, the music terribly dates this film. Yes, Ja Rule. Oh, God, yes, and Sliver. Mm. He had riffs. Yeah. Fast and the Furious. Ja Rule all one. Yeah, yeah, it's our world. Please believe y'all. Are you well? 
No. Um, a big problem was Dom is the only character that is fully rounded. Mm-hmm. You understand why, for the most part, you understand why he's doing what he's doing. No one else really gets that. I suppose Mia, by just being his sister, sort of gets some. Yeah. He never really delves into why. She's Brian's been more of a sort of a portal into the other characters to, to explain it, it, who they it's are. It's Brian's way in. Brian, yeah. Mm. yeah. I think there is a there is a reason for that, and I'm I'm not necessarily saying that this is completely justified. And though I know this makes me sound like a hypocrite because this is something that I've leveled at other films in the past. Mm. The nature of the type of film it is, I think, gets away with that a little bit because the whole point of this film is the relationship between Brian and Dom. They are really the only characters that you need to know more than a passing uh, surface amount about. And to be fair, all the oh, totally, totally. By four, oh my god, is this getting incredibly homoerotic? But we'll come to that later. Trust um, me, by four, when he utters a line, still a buster, you're kind of like, yeah. Still a buster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you look at the way the other characters are handled, by and large, although there are interesting things about them, most of the things you find out and most of the things that they do are intended to cast more light on Dominic as a character mm, or yeah. on Brian as a character yeah. and how their interactions um, expand on, on their three dimensions. Whenever Dominic's not on screen, everyone needs to be saying, where's, where's Dominic? Dominic? <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that, that I really did like, though, this you know, going back to my more... <laughs> Uh, traditional appeal elements of of movies. They have two women, mm-hmm. and doesn't normally, quite pass the bestial test we were counting. It doesn't. Yes, no. We we did check that, and I don't believe Mia and Letty ever actually they have acknowledge a each other's existence, but they don't yes, talk. But that's that's about it. But they actually are. Um, you know, they have different ways of looking at things. Uh, Mia is. I, I wouldn't exactly call Mia girly, but she's more traditionally. Um, she's softer. Feminine. She's softer. Yeah, I do exactly. like the fact that she really likes um, cars as well. When yeah, she gets in one, she's she like, likes, oh, can't hold she this. She likes back. driving. See, that's mm. the thing. Um, and I think that's probably my uh, engagement with cars. She likes driving, but she's not necessarily all that fussed about what's going on under the hood. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you've got two women, both of whom uh, are have different approaches to. Uh, cars and men and their lives and each other well except that you don't really see them interacting with each other as we said um but they have things going on that aren't just to do with um w- with their their guys and this was actually um even if you look at just how the women are filmed in one versus two um it's in two you kind of lose this idea that the girls are there for the cars in one, there are more. There seem to be more girls who are actually interested in the vehicles themselves, mm. and um, you know, are having conversations between themselves and things like that. Um, and that, that kind of comes back again in three. In two, almost always, when it pans up um, a, a woman's body, which it does very, very frequently, <laughs> it ends with these shots of them staring into camera and pouting, and it's and it's entirely. Uh, it just seems like they're there to look at you not so much the fact that you're there to look at them but they're there to look at you and worship you and adore you and give you the flirty bedroom eyes etc etc um rather than them being individual entities who actually were having a phone conversation with a friend over there and not even vaguely interested in what was going on with you Mm. so it, it just it's a subtle thing but it 
there's a tone that it creates. Hang on, hang on. Sharon, you wanted an even-handed ha- handling of women, and Neil, you wanted well-rounded characters across the board. May I remind you we're watching The Fast and Furious. Oh, exactly. But you see, this is the thing. Doesn't it speak highly of it that we expect those things? Yeah. I it's, it's, so. Like I said, I think the big problem there is, like I was trying to say, is that Dom is very... You get why Dom is doing just about everything he's doing, mm. but the, the, you don't really get why... Like Brian's doing it, um, and or why Brian suddenly—I don't want to say falls under Dom's spell, but you know what—he suddenly feels more connected to oh, that th- family. Sharon the- theorised that basically he were go for it. I, I know why. I, I actually know why, but you will find out later. Oh, nuts. <laughs> okay, but no, you're right. If it's not actually within the film itself, then retroactively adding that later doesn't necessarily improve. The, well, I suppose it does improve the first one, but only in retrospect of another film. But if it's not there, Sharon, what was your theory? I can't remember what was that, that he's trying to find the adrenaline high he once got from just being a cop. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm. That that um I mean that's the same as point at... break. Also just that he's kind of depressed and he's uh he he, is. that he's... the uh, racing is actually giving him a high which he otherwise doesn't get. Yeah, I mean I that kind of a little bit I've inferred that from what goes on in Point Break the fact that um, Johnny used to be a footballer and he because his knee gave out he couldn't do that anymore mm. um, I mean how many people do you know who have FBI agent as their backup career really um, but there seems to be that idea that he's uh, he's always doing things that he didn't really want to do he kind of got forced into them and um, he is trying to find some sort of connection within himself and that's why he falls uh, for Bodie in a way because it, it sees this guy who appears to have this wonderful magical connection that he knows he's lacking um, and I think that that's very similar to what Brian kind of responds to with Dom I mean I, it's it's never made 100% clear how genuine Brian's um, juvie record is but given that uh, Dominic says that Jesse found a lot of it on the internet, I think it's got to be real because you can't plant that stuff on the internet. It's date stamped. People would know that it had only been added recently. Um, so I think certainly as a, a, a young person, and it had to stop when he was about 16, 17, because if it went over into adult record, they wouldn't let him be a police officer. Um there seems to be some element of trying to um, trying to achieve, like you say, either an adrenaline high or some feeling of, of emotion, some sensation of being alive, which people, particularly men who are depressed and the nature of their depression is that it makes them feel numb, they will try to reach out to anything that is hot or sharp or fast or anything that will make them feel like they're alive again, even if it's only for a few seconds. And to to have a, for Brian to have a conversation with somebody, if we assume that that is the state of mind that he's coming at this from, even if he doesn't know it himself, to have a conversation with somebody who basically outlines this philosophy that for that 10 seconds, nothing else exists. That's my world. No past, no future, nothing. I, I just, I'm totally absorbed. I'm totally there. I can see how that would be immensely appealing, even to the extent that he would throw over his commitment to, you know, being a cop being a inverted commas good guy. And we thought we wouldn't go deep on this. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, you saw you, when you watch five, you'll get more of a reason behind things. Mm. I'm not 
trying to I'm say that without doing any spoilers. No, no, no. I, I am looking forward to that because there's, there's kind of there's hints in four, but they're so tiny. Yeah, they they expand a lot more on that. Mm. Good, excellent. Fast and Furious, tiny hints. That's the name of the fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, odd numbers good, even numbers. No, no. Because five and six are both good, aren't they? Yeah, okay. I would. I, I would say that. I again, I, I'm. I'm not saying that this is bad. I just didn't have as much fun with this one because I was noticing because this is probably like we're we're quite high into the few figures I've seen this film. I was noticing things I hadn't really noticed before. Right. So don't, when I watch this film, I'm not. I'm usually watching it for fun. Right. Whereas I was because I'm coming on here, I was watching. I was paying a bit more attention to it than I normally do. <laughs> we won't have people on here doing things for fun. There's a time and a place for fun and games. This I will admit here. also another thing about this film. This is where I picked up my major crush on uh, Michelle Rodriguez in this film. Understandable. She's dangerous though. You don't want to get in a car with her. Oh no. <laughs> um, so what did you spot that uh, you hadn't spotted before? Uh, stuff like like Brian's motivation, uh, the well, fact that the other the other characters being very uh, just enough there that they don't come across as just one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also, as I the only one struggling, okay, the, the initial setup is uh, Brian's gone on the cover to because they're trying to find this car gang that are pulling off these high tech, well, not high tech, but these uh, these lorry heists. Mm. I never felt that Dom needed to do that. It never really explains why he was doing that. I never felt the reason why he was. Yeah, actually, they, they explain it in Point Break that basically they, they rob the banks because it's the ultimate high and it funds their summer. But it doesn't seem like Dom gets an adrenaline rush out of the actual robberies. Mm. I think that the motives there are somewhat hazy, to say the least. Um, and I think there is... There's, a, there's got to there's be a, a bit a of fuck the man. Like, Don's got many priors. There's and- a suggestion at the end that um, that there is some kind of, you know, big score and then we all get to retire to Fiji. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, he... I read in a, a review or a comment about it somewhere although i don't remember this ever being mentioned in the film that the reason that they do the big job at the end is basically because they're trying to get enough money to pay tran for the car that jesse was supposed to hand over and didn't mm-hmm. yeah and then tran turns up and shoots jesse anyway mm. Mm. that's a sad moment for me because i did like jesse and he was a bit more well-rounded than uh, the rest of them and i at least felt like i i got him but he also seemed a bit too fragile for that world. Yeah, he's sadly one of the two sort of forgotten characters, him and Leon. Because mm. I don't think Leon's ever mentioned again at all throughout the film. And yeah. neither is Jesse, so I think it's just sort of... Unless otherwise stated somewhere that I've missed, I think Jesse does... that. He dies there. He is killed in that drive by. Yeah. So let's move on, shall we, to Too Fast, Too Furious from 2003, directed by John Singleton of Boys in the Hood. Uh, this one cost more than twice as much as the first one, 76 million rather than 38, and it made only 236 million. So it only made about not even 30 million more, actually, looking at it. Uh, so 
What, so what happened? Did they, did they just say to the entire cast, do you want to come back and do a sequel? And everyone went, nope. And just um, left, apart from Paul Walker, who stood there and went, I'll do it. Uh, no, I, I think it was just a case of they couldn't adopt... Um, they couldn't get Vin, uh, This was at the point where I think... Do, uh, sorry. Sorry to change my... I always Vin think of Vin and Dom. It's, he, he, anyway. Um, Vin Diesel said he, at this point, he wasn't interested in doing sequels to anything he really did. Because I, I think he thought his career was going to go one way. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it didn't. It didn't. No, so they sort of wrote this other story, which is more about you know, which is actually, if you think about it, not a bad idea of what happens to Brian afterwards. Yeah, which is a you know, that's actually a good question because it. I don't want to say it leaves it on a cliffhanger. Uh, by the way, just a quick question: Did you watch the post-credit sequence on Fast and Furious? The first one. The first one. Yeah, he's yes. driving off into Mexico. Yeah. yeah, he's off in Mexico, which I yeah, it's just. Random. I didn't even know that was on there. Oh yeah, no, it was. It's. I, I remember seeing that before. But uh, at, at the end of Point Break, Johnny wa- walks away, goes, "He's not coming back," and uh, throws his badge down in the sand, and so you know, basically shows, "I'm not going to be a cop anymore." In that case, an FBI agent anymore. And I just, you know, as Paul Walker, sorry, as um, Brian's walking away at the end of the first one, I expected him to toss his badge, but he doesn't. It's the same, the same deal. So I always just figured, I suppose he'd go into the racing circuit. Well, actually, he's committed crimes. He should be arrested, which is why you have this little, uh, quite a nice little short, actually, uh, as an extra. The turbocharged intro. <laughs> yes. It's done, but basically it gives you a good, okay, this is how he got from where we last, last left him to where mm. he is now. And okay. It, it's weird because in this film, they sort of try to make Brian Dom, almost. I suppose. Do you want to talk about Too Fast, Too Furious, Neil? Yeah, because I enjoyed this one. Go for it. <laughs> um, it is dumber than a box of rocks. It's a heck of a lot dumber than the other one. But I think with this one, they sort of bring in the, the sense of humour more to the fore in this one. So you're doing the stare and drive with you? I taught him that. Uh, yeah, Tyrese. I didn't know who Tyrese Gibson was. This was like the first one I saw him in, and he, he's got a charm to him. Yeah, for a model. I mean, you'd expect him to sort of turn up and go, hello, I am Tyrese. But, yeah, he's got personality. He, he As Roman Pierce, he shines. He's got more charisma here than he does in any of the Transformer films. I barely even recognize him as the same, per- you know, same mm. person in it's those films. He's got to work with. Yeah, he actually has stuff to work with. And this one definitely plays up the more glamorous aspect of, um, like, the first film. So a lot of, as Sharon was saying, a lot of the sexy girls, sexy cars, look Mm -hmm. at the lighting and stuff. Um, Oh, speaking of the cars, sorry, just to to interject. Favourite cars in the first one? Just pick one. Neil? Uh, It's got to be the Beast. The Beast. So Dom's, like... The muscle charger. I, I, yeah. Strange enough, I, I, I love that car. I just I do. Oh, yes. <laughs> Especially when it pulls the wheelie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just seems just this, this incredibly terrifyingly powerful, like, um, monster. Monster. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, Sharon, favorite car in the first one? Um, I have to admit, I like Johnny Tran's red one. <laughs> just because it's red. You see, this is how not aware of the, uh, specs of vehicles I am which is something I really ought to remedy uh, but yes yeah, I just think it looks cool brief side note I think it's the super of the green one that gets blown up 
the director's son didn't talk to him for a week because the director blew that car. Right, the Supra is the orange one, but oh, the Mitsubishi the Eclipse at the beginning, that's my favourite car of the whole fucking series. It's so gorgeous looking. Uh, it's probably not absolutely, um, you know, tuned to 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 for every situation. It's almost more of a drift car than it is a uh, a race car. But my God, is it gorgeous! So right, those are the uh, I was in the first three. Um, do you want to go right now with cars in the th- second one before we carry on talking about the? Market? Okay, I'll do the second one because I think mine will come as a surprise because I think everyone's probably thinking I'm going to say the Skyline or one of the muscle cars, and I'm not. Mm-hmm. It's Suki's. Oh it yeah, I love that, is that one. Like Do- is that a Dodge Viper? I'm not sure what. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but I just love the. I love how the car is her character. It's quite literally that. I just it, really love that. Uh, it's a Honda S2000. It is, yeah. Of course, it'd be Japanese, not a Dodge. Um, yeah, that's a Devon Aoki, uh, Deadly Little Miho, and uh, yeah, Sharon. Do you want to just sort of like what were they doing with her character? I'm not entirely sure. I think they were trying to uh, continue with with what they'd started with uh, Letty and Mia in the first one, in that they actually had a female who was central to uh, the the core group. The was problem was, if well, you lifted Suki was. out of the film, would the whole film still have worked? Yes, yeah. yes, it would, and. I don't have a problem exactly with how she was as a person, but she did look a little bit like she'd stepped out of Sugar Rush. (laughs) And she was a little bit Asian stereotype as well. Yeah, with the anime uh, screen and stuff. I get that. The the same film where the guy was playing, the Japanese guy was playing on his PlayStation in the car just prior to racing and crashing. Yeah. Um, so there was that too. My favorite car in this second one is the Nissan Skyline, the, 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 the silver one that Brian drives with the two blue stripes. Oh, that's yeah. the Skyline. Yes. Yeah. That's a beast of a car. Yeah. I was, uh, I was playing grid last night after, uh, you know, watching Tokyo drifting. You know, I, I kind of really want to do some drifting now. And, uh, yeah, played, played with the uh, Skyline and, uh, it handles, Extremely smoothly. Lovely car. Um, Nate, uh, you've well, you said Suki's Sharon, favourite car in the second one? Um, in the second one. Do you remember any of them? No, not really. I think How about probably Tyrese's just because... purple thingy? It, well, <laughs> Tyrese's purple thingy, excuse me. <laughs> um, I think just purely because of the scene, uh, it's the, the car that they go... Um, the Dodge uh, Challenger. The, when they do the, the Dukes, Dukes of Hazard, Hazard yeah. moment. The, there's a point somewhere in the middle when they do jumping over a bridge. Uh, that's the point where Ludacris goes, right, I'm going to make this a little spicier. Yeah, you're going to endanger their lives without prior arrangement. Raise the bridge. Good idea. Quite funny given the fact that I think no one, unless the character is mental, I don't think anyone actually dies despite the horrific crashes or they're just not mentioned. Yeah. Um... So yeah, that's uh, that's when it suddenly. I, I just thought them Duke boys better start flapping their arms or grow some wings while they were just diving over it, and uh, it's it suddenly became Dukes of Hazard, and it stayed Dukes of Hazard. Him and uh, uh, Ty- what's Tyrese's name? Uh, Roman. Roman Pierce. Him and Roman, uh, basically the Duke boys, the whole way through. You know, they're undercover in this one, but uh, I suppose that makes it a bit different from the other ones. 
And it made it better than a Luke's Hazard film. Yeah. Which wasn't hard. Getting run over by a Dodge Charger is better than the Dukes of Hazard film. I think what I found a little bit frustrating about this one was that they decided to go with the template of Brian goes undercover because reasons. That there really wasn't you didn't need that as far as I was concerned. The the relationship between Brian and Roman, that was the part that I was interested in. Mm. And the fact that you, you know, they kind of introduced us, they used to know each other when they were kids, but you never really get to the bottom of why Roman's so pissed off with him, other than that throwaway line about, well, you know, he, he went off and became a cop. He's got to have a low jack on his his foot, though. That that's that's you know. Uh, there's a certain amount of, of well, shame yeah, which he uh, carries with him as a, literally has to carry with him as a as a constant reminder. But that's that's the the element of it that you know Brian went off and became a cop. Roman went off and became a criminal. Uh, yeah. There's also something a little bit almost naive, I suppose, about the fact that blonde, blue-eyed Paul Walker apparently had the same brush-with-the-law-type childhood that his black-skinned mate Roman Pierce had. Um, he went off and became a police officer, and uh, Roman gets a low jack on his leg. Ooh. And they never, ever address <laughs> that at all. Maybe that's less racist? I was just thought of it as Roman, you know, they were childhood friends, but Roman was always just sort of the hot-headed one and that's sort of how he ended up getting you know, the shaft, really. Gotcha. Sorry, Neil, I interrupted you and you were talking about the good points of this film. Um, I think it's... It's not the story. The story is... The story is... Cole Hauser is mean. Well, it's... <laughs> and evil. Really evil. He's strangely more evil than... That bit with the blowtorch and the bucket and the rat, rat? really yeah. did not suit this film. This is like a, a film that kids nowhere. could enjoy, and then suddenly there's this really gruesome torture scene. He's more evil than the drug dealer in five or four. I'll take your word on that. But yeah, that's, it's, it's almost like they were like, we've got to shock people here. Yeah. No, you don't. Just have him be funny. Like Jason Patrick in uh, The Losers is murderous but hilarious at the same time. This one, uh, this is where you can notice a couple of, I don't want to say it's tropes, but trends for the films. The, the sort of heist-based reason, sort of main story. Mm. And inconsistent Brian O'Connor character. Yeah. Because he's one way in the first film. He's he's much more lighthearted and a bit more fun this time round, which is I like. Yeah, and he seemed completely different in the fourth one. In the fourth one? Jesus Christ, someone pulled that stick out his ass. Yeah, but everyone was depressed in the fourth one. That thought, yeah, I have problems with the fourth one. Including I'm not looking the lighting designer. Yeah, he needed a slap. Uh, also, CG guys. <laughs> but anyway, this one, um, I think what makes this one shine is sort of that it is it is uh, Tyrese and, and Paul Walker's characters, uh, Roman and uh, and Brian, because they that's where a lot of the fun comes from, mm. you know, and and also Ludicrous. Ludicrous is really enjoyable, He's although I. Although I wish he, I'm glad he comes back. But um, his introduction to the first thing, my thought was, my God, the hair. Well, video games were sort of on a very Afro high at that point. They were like, let's stick a guy with an Afro in all video games in the this late the 90s. the only time he has an Afro is in that introduction. It's interesting that I mentioned video games. Interesting, Alex, um, because this one really feels like a video game. It does. They even colour code the cars. It's even said, I can't remember if it's in the commentary or something, mm. where they said they did actually colour code the cars on purpose so you could tell ah, who was who. 
the light. I mean, the, very specifically in the first one when he races against Dom, there's two in a red car because people don't obligingly have one car of each different color. Mm. Yeah, um, but this the lighting was different. The direction was different. It felt at times like TV, and that was it was weird. Like um, maybe just the the camera very rarely zoomed slowly in to really get the emotion. It just sort of it it didn't sit there. It pivoted and it went up and down and left and right, but it didn't really get in and it didn't really. It wasn't concerned with the emotion of the scene. Yeah. Because there uh, I definitely think colour-wise it's very different in, mm. in, in, in the whole field, whereas the the first one it has colour, but it's almost really saturised. Mm. Sa- where yeah. Whereas to this one, it's very neon. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, like it's, it's in Miami, so you get a lot of blue skies. It's daytime a lot of the time, and it's difficult to light a trailer park if you're standing in the middle of it. You basically have mm. to go with what the sky's doing that day. Yeah. But I, this one definitely is the one that sort of well, the story's not great, it's the ride that matters. And why the ride matters is because you like, for a start, you like Paul Walker. He's a lot less than he was in the first one. He's more, like I said, he's lighthearted, he's a bit more fun to be around. Mm. You mix that with, it's a buddy, it's, it's a buddy movie because it's him and, it's him and uh, Roman. Because yeah. it's all about Roman's sort of reaction to him. And that, the rebonding of the friendship. You know, like when in the middle of doing the audition, when uh, Paul Walker pulls the, I don't even think this is possible, the handbrake turn into the reverse on the freeway to flip off his friend. It, I, yes. Yeah, I, I did like that kind of thing. And that I think that was why I got a little bit frustrated with it, because I enjoyed that uh, that type of interaction between them so much that I was annoyed there wasn't more of it. Mm. There was altogether too much focus on this incredibly boring, uh, incredibly evil villain mm. who just. Uh, Cole House is so much more interesting in Pitch Black. Yes, he is, and I mean, if you again, if you compare it to the first one, the only real out and out villain, I suppose, is. Um, uh, Johnny Tran and even he there is a tiny little thread of you know you can understand uh, that he's been kicked part of his world get, yeah. exactly um, and what's what's led him to this position Carter Verone where where do we see anything that tells us why Cole Hauser has ended up being this living he's, shit at the he's end he's in, he's in silk pyjamas he can't yes, even be bothered he, to get out of bed properly oh my god yes his wardrobe was ridiculous Ridiculous! It really was. Also, this it's, isn't really her fault because they probably asked her to do it. But Eva Mendes sunbathes for quite a while in this film, and I'd just seen, I think, around about that time, um, or I was about to see, Stuck on You, in which she also sunbathes for quite a lot. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of Jennifer Esposito. Hang on, let me just Stuck on You. I will say that Eva Mendes is usually very nice to look at. Mm. I think with the only exception of one film, I don't know. I don't know how well of an actress she is although apparently she's meant to be very good in uh oh god nicholas cage not ghost rider <laughs> the other one um although uh, she is actually new orleans uh bad lieutenant port of call new orleans apparently well, she's meant to be good it was her in stuck on you and uh, i'm sure that she you know, may have been asked could you possibly sunbathe in ghost rider and she may have said no you know what i, I can stand up for this one Maybe if she sunbathes and I, like, you know, go crazy near her and, like, go scratch her at the door, then, then maybe we'll have a film on our hands. Do me one favour. Don't do Nicholas not the bee. No, can you say the bees, not the bees for me? Ah, not the bees! Ah, my eyes! 
That's I can't do Nicolas Cage screaming. I can only do him like this. I don't know. It was worth it just to hear that. That just made me smile. Killing me won't bring back your damn honey. Anyway, you're going to enjoy our Ghost Rider review, Neil. Let me tell you right now. We've we've done it. We we committed it to podcast ages ago. Is it the first one or the second? It's one? both. I love the first one. Hate the second one. You'll have a blast. Um. um so yeah, Sharon, you on Too Fast, Too Furious. Well, I think I've I've pretty much said everything that okay. I really wanted to say about it. Me too. I I I, I wasn't, there is a lot less to say about this one. This this, this has ticked along for me. It, the first one actually had was trying to do something. This one was more of a a theme park ride, I it, so. like a roller coaster. It is at least short. The it, uh, and not and fairly non-offensive and has actually does have some good sort of. Uh, feel good moments. The 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 bond, like I said, the bonding uh, is always fun to watch. There's a lot of uh, watching. To, if you watch Tyrese, how in a lot of scenes he's always wanting to do something, so he's constantly eating. Mm. That's that's a lot of fun. And the scramble bit is a quite a good punch in the air moment because you're like, oh god, how are the guys going to get out of this? And oh yeah, that this. was neat. Yeah, the scramble moment. Uh, that was a lot of fun for the for the folks who haven't seen it yet. The scramble moment. They all drive into a bunch of garages while the uh, Keystone cops are chasing them, and they're like, oh oh, they're stuck in the garages. What's going to happen? And then like hundreds of cars all pour out of the garages and disappear off into the traffic, and it's like, well, where are they? And um, yeah, the police lose them. It's, it's quite good, and it's got a good uh, um, Dukes of Hazzard jump at the end. But then after that, it's like, that that was it. Uh, okay. Well, it's actually kind of funny. They even call themselves on it. Because even Roman turns to, to Brian and goes, that's that some serious it. Dukes of Hazzard shit. Nice. Just in <laughs> case you folks hadn't picked up on that. They may as well have gone... Anyway, that was before the Dukes of Hazard film came out, I suppose. So they were allowed to do and that. And like I yeah. said, yeah. still better than the Dukes of Hazard film because boy, did they kill that film. Next up, Tokyo Drift. On the other side of the world, on the wrong side of the law, a new style of racing rules the Tokyo underground. How you guys get away with this? And all the best drivers want in. Who's a tourist? Let's see what the kids got. And let's race. But when you live on the edge, anything can happen. You came to the wrong place. Now, in a place where life moves this fast. There's a lot of money. Hey, you're moving up in the world. You gotta elevate your company. The bigger the risk, the greater the rush. Stay away from them. All my life, people tell me I don't fit in. Maybe I've just been in the wrong place. Come on! Hey, 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 look what's up! Woo! Almost over now. Life's simple. Make choices. Don't look back. The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. So yeah, um, Too Fast, Too Furious happened. I think at that point, the the the, uh, the producer, it's been the same producer the whole way through, um, Neil H. Moritz, uh, was like, right, so 
you know we didn't make that much more money with this one even though we spent a lot more on it so let's spend more on it this time but we we don't have to necessarily stay with brian anymore and you know we don't you know vin's still working so we can go, go to someone else maybe in fact let's do something that's actually not really linked at that point to any of the rest of the uh mo- the first two movies and uh you know then at the very end sort of tie it up so that it does feel like it's still part of the same universe and so they tell you an 80s movie. At the starting of the week, at Summit Talks, you'll hear them speak. It's only Monday. Negotiations breaking down. See those leaders start to frown. It's Lord and Gunday. Tomorrow never comes until it's too I mean, Neil, have you watched that episode of uh, South Park, Aspen? No, I don't like South Park that much. Well, it's the same thing as this. It's literally every 80s skiing movie where all that breaks up. It's Thor as well. Yeah. Sort of. Oh, it is kind of, isn't it? It is your standard fish out of water. Go to Earth and prove that you're not a complete dick. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, Lucas Black... Uh, is uh, a completely unrelated kid uh, to the, uh, the the earlier films. He's a, he's a kind of a bit of a bad kid, but he's, he's not one or actually they sort of play him as not one or the other. He's not really a bully, but he doesn't. He's not sort of the high moral characters like say. There's a scene sort of in the opening where um, they're in what they call it shop class or whatever we're working on his car he sees this kid getting dragged into the paint shop by painted yeah. spray point. he goes over you think he's going to do some work and he doesn't he just sort of walks away but yeah. later on he gets challenged by sort of the high school quarterback star arsehole kid very 80s and he doesn't back down from that although clever moment in that showed um, you know how in like sort of the next film he'd stand up to him but he'd do it on his own kind of thing yeah he, he just subtly drops the big massive wrench down in his hand to say, all right, you got your friends, I got crazy. this. Yeah. Uh, that that interesting was actually, because we'd just seen Too Fast, Too Furious, was really engaging because there's a lot of visual storytelling going on. It, it, it's uh, Justin Lin for the first time uh, in the series. Um, yeah, bring on the king of this franchise now. Yeah, he directed this one and the next three. So uh, uh, suddenly, there's it's a completely different direction to the way Singleton did it. You're, we're back in cinematic territory. Lots of slow mo shots of, of things happening and the people, kids being pushed through the uh, uh, the metal detectors in, in the school just in case they got weapons. And um, what's Lucas Black's character's name? Oh, Sean. Yeah. Sean, yeah. Looks across at the, the school mascots even being searched for weaponry. And it, it kind of it tells the story of the shitty school that he's at. And then, yeah, as you say, he gets challenged by the bully. And the bully's got Heather. And he wants Heather, but, you know, the bully's got her. So he challenges him to, to a race. It's like a grease race. <laughs> against the dude from the Scorpions and then it's neat the way that the police officer sums it up basically he says Ken and Barbie out there they're just walking away they're too well connected you you are done because yeah yeah, he's got priors and uh, he's been warned about this before and his mother's 
um, feeble attempt to seduce the police officer in order to get her son off is uh, uh, rebutted. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a quite neat way of sewing up his life at this point and tossing him into the trash. Also, what I like is that he sort of barely hinted this in the first one when it's never really mentioned. Past. He's not a good racer. Yeah, no, he's got no talent. He's just he's heavy footed. That's it. He's not. You see that in that really really well put together race that they actually have set to Bowitabar by Kid Rock. Yeah. Um, you actually see that he's not good at what he does. He's not a Brian or a Dom or any of the racers we've seen before. He's actually more lucky than anything. Yeah. There's, there's very little judgment on his part. He just makes snap decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a kid. I mean, he's. this was something that really struck me about this. They, There's a youthfulness about the first two. Um, I think in the first one, because Brian is looking up to Dom so much. In the second one, it's because um, Brian and Roman are both going back to a relationship that they had as children. Mm. But this one, it, it, you're absolutely right. It is a high school movie. It's They are incredibly teenaged, yeah. um, which is possibly one of the reasons why... Um, uh, the the villain of the piece in this one is almost impossible to take seriously because you're looking at him and thinking he's, he's a posturing a kid. teenager. Yeah. He is. He is a posturing teenager, and that is made so brilliantly obvious when his uncle walks in and he's like utterly. I am uh, Sonny Chiba. You are a little punk. And also the fact that it's Sonny Chiba, which is just amazingly awesome. brilliant. Yes. <laughs> I, I, first of all, I mean this. I think for the longest time this was like the least popular one of the franchise yeah it made it's all two seems money. to be but I find this one you know going to this one especially because I, I today I literally did Too Fast Too Furious then this film straight after this one's actually kind of refreshing because it is the teenagers yeah. and they make the snap judgments and they off they're doing teenagery things yeah but for me it went back to that um, sort of psychological rationale behind the characters that I'd picked up from the first one and that seemed to be back again for this one which I I really enjoyed it because again it's sort of it's looking at this um, uh, you can kind of summarize this one as what is expected from you to be a man Mm. and and uh, what is the uh, socialized framework of masculinity that you are being expected to play into because if you look at the comparison between uh, Sean who is basically trying to piece together how to be a man all by himself without a great deal of guidance from anybody um, the uh, rich kid at the beginning who and they really set this high school up to be incredibly shitty by the way everyone in it is horrible Mm. and not to mention the fact that they appear to be in an upcoming football match going up against a team called the Indians which is slightly dodgy ground anyway and then they have them tear apart a Native American mascot yeah heavy on the symbolism a little bit I know just a touch (laughs) so so you'll really dislike this this kid Clay the uh, football quarterback but uh, but he's like looks like he's wearing a pork mask he's this horrible piggy eyed little bastard and how does somebody that big still not fill his football jersey I really couldn't understand that but anyway so you've got his type his brand of being the big man involves putting his girlfriend in danger although she seemed to be kind of up for it which was a bit weird Um, she didn't need to get into that car no 
She could have just stayed out and said, look, you guys spray the decks with testosterone. Absolutely. But she incised it. She was like, the winner gets she, me. She did kind of, it, yeah. She was so. But that is kind of the point of that character. That's what she's like. She isn't She isn't meant to be the likable one. She's a bitch. She's awful. She's, and, not, she's yeah. paper thin as well. But I anyway, that's... the fact that, that Sean sort of grins at her and winks through bloody teeth twice. And it's like, just in, <laughs> enough that's, that's with the winking. That's not impressing anybody. Um, but it did and make then, me laugh. And then you've got, um, like, you've got the example of Sean's father, who's obviously um, feeling a little bit failed in the masculinity stakes himself mm. um, for having walked out on his his family, or you know, for whatever reason, caused their family to split. He seems to be the one who then disappeared, um, and the uh, the being involved in the the criminal side of things that um, Han and uh, Takeshi are all tied up in. There there's just seems to be this overwhelming sense of everybody trying to find the way in which they can prove themselves. Mm. Which, when you're 17, is pretty much all-consuming. It's the, the part of your life where you really are trying to work out, A, who do you want to be? B, how are you going to get to be that person? Yeah, and appreciating actually who you are and taking, mm. and taking responsibility. This film is about growing. Mm. That is the yes. overall arc of, uh, of Sean. Absolutely. About his, uh, and I think Lucas Black, apart from the accent, which is a little bit too hicky, yeah, but really? that's like that's his actual accent. I it? know, I know. Sounded exactly like that. In a oh, I know. I've seen him in other stuff, and he's <laughs> but he's really, really good. I really like this guy. Yeah. Uh, he's not the star. Um, I know everyone sort of. This is where everyone fell in love with Han. And this yeah. is why you'll get more Han. Sung Kang. But um, my favorite character, and this is Bow Wow. Bow Wow, Twinkle, he Twinkie. He's great, isn't he? He's, he, again, he's so he's, lovable. He, I love the fact that he brings out the Hulk car and he loves it so much and he thinks it's so cool. Yes. <laughs> I think that was the minute car. when I think that was the minute when I saw that. I went, I'm going to like this guy a lot. Yeah. It's and he, he's a Marvel fan. He's a, he's a Marvel, but he, again, he he's going to buy car hair. <laughs> you can get car eyelashes for Christ's sake. Oh, that's alright then. But um, yeah, that, he's got. I don't. I don't think I've seen Bow Wow in anything else. But he's got such a really effortless charm in this. He is sort of that. I want to say he's a Del Boy, but he's not. If you know what I mean. But he's that chancer. He's got a scheme and a plan, and got this on the go and that on the go. But there's always that easygoing charm to him. That's you're drawn in by it. And again, it's it's that buddy buddiness again, which I think a lot of these films get around is that whole connection yeah. between people. That's what people really like. That's that's what gets. You, that's just. That's the good stuff in between the car races a lot of time. Is it's just, just you want to see what's happening with Twink next, or the, or, or you know, with Han and and, yeah. and Sean learning. That's really well, that's what it's. Um, it, it's recaptured that sense of like sort of a, a major story between the races, um, which the first one had. But there is more development going on because they're all teenagers. Yeah, and um, uh, they all do a really good job. Mm. There's, there's. A, you're right about the sense of growth as well. One of my favourite moments in this is when um, uh, that spiky blonde Final Fantasy villain chap, whose name escapes me, um, is uh, Morimoto. He's um, beating up um, 
Bow Wow. Bow Wow. For a bad iPod. He apparently sold him a broken iPod. And um, Sean steps in to break up the fight. And going by how he's behaved in the past, the assumption is that he's basically going to swing at the bad guy. But he doesn't. He actually finds a non-violent way to resolve it. And he is rewarded for that because Neela is immediately more responsive to him than she has been in the past because she now knows that he's not going to act like the others. He's not going to try and turn this into a I'm bigger than you and I can punch harder than you can. Um, and uh, I Han's comment about uh, racing somebody just proves that you're faster than them. It doesn't prove that you're better than them. Mm. Um, it, it's the, the little things like that that I think really uh, give this more of a... Uh, a rounded and engaging uh, thread. Yeah. First things last, by the way. <laughs> I have to elbow in because I haven't had a chance to say this. He gets sent to Japan. In case you folks didn't get this, if you haven't actually watched the uh, film yet. In case the title Tokyo Drift. Yeah. Give it away. I, yeah also, it, you could assume that, but yeah, he gets sent to Japan where his dad lives because if he doesn't go to Japan to to stay with his dad, he's got to go to jail. They they put him in. They literally put him out of water. And you commented, Sharon, that that would actually really really work for a lot of people who get into sort of very bad habits and can't break their the cycle. Yeah, well, to have your... Um, I mean, you've, you've got to be lucky enough to have that option anyway. As you pointed out, you've got to have relatives in a, a part of the country that it, or a part of the world that it is um, that you can then go to and, and stay with them. You need something. But, yeah, the uh, being in an environment where you're in repeating a bad pattern over and over and over again in the make or break moment for some people and not for everybody throwing them into a situation where they have to adapt where they have to change where the the way of life is so different and the expectations of them are going to be so substantially altered um it, wherever sean went in america uh, he's going to be the trailer trash. He's going to be the um, the the uh, poor new kid who can't keep up with everyone else. Um, but the environment and the atmosphere that he goes into in Japan makes it so completely different and gives him um, a, a level of expectation to meet that nobody's ever put on him before people now expect him to turn up on time to be smart to be respectful to learn japanese you know all these uh these things that, that demands that nobody would ever dream of making of him back in america and it, it kind of in a way it's like if you have wildly low expectations of people a lot of the time they'll meet them if you have higher expectations of somebody who previously hasn't had that put on them, then sometimes, and a lot of the time, they will rise to the challenge. And it doesn't work for everybody. And obviously, Sean's fictional, so it stood a far higher chance of working for him. Um, but, um, but Just yeah. look at what happened to this person in this fictional film. Indeedy, indeedy. But hey, I mean, you know, getting sent to Japan as punishment for being yeah. a really bad kid. There's oh, that bit in the, uh, uh, the cafeteria when he's looking at all the weird Japanese food and it looks absolutely splendid. And it's like, yeah, oh, poor you, forced to go to Japan. Dinner. Aww. Also, the the depiction of Japan itself is vibrant and tangible, and it, 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 they've really gone out of their way to show that it's a different world, kind of like the Wolverine. 
in the, it feels like a different place entirely. They've 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 shown that he's that, that people behave differently, dress differently, um, and that the the culture is is alien. Ali- alienating and intimidating. Another good and a nice good way to show it because we start film we have a, a, a sort of a typical Fast and Furious race to this point. The flat mm. out go round the court and done right. Then we get introduced to what they do in Tokyo, and again that helps make you feel, oh wow, we have stepped, but we are doing something different. Yeah. It helps make the scene feel, but they do it in a clever way where the scene feels the same. It's still cars, girls, music, dancing, craziness kind of thing. Yeah. Then it comes Best to the race, and yeah. it's completely different and alien. Than, yeah. Because no amount of shoving your foot down hard is going to save you in that scenario. No, because it just proves that Gene is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> John's terrible. He's never even heard of drifting before. Now, what guy hasn't heard of to drifting? To be fair, it, Mario Karts? Yes and no. It wasn't quite as big a thing. I mean, if you're in that scene, you would have known about it. And it is actually something that comes from Japan. Um, I think yeah, the but, actual I mean, re- Ridge Racer on the PlayStation, you could drift. Yeah, but um, it, how many people knew it as an actual race form mm. than um, just a technique? You know, drifting is technically a technique. It's meant to be a way of getting around corners. Here, they use it, the technique is a whole race style. Yeah. So it's, it's. I think it was just a way to focus in on something different. So it's. I actually think it's quite believable, especially at this point that you know, some people probably wouldn't know that that's a style because I think somewhere in there is the real DK. Because there's actually a real guy who's known as uh, the Drift King. So, ah, isn't he the person that the he, there was an article about him or something, and that's what the film was based yeah. on. Yeah, there's also uh, a nod to an anime called Initial D in there, which is an anime. Unfortunately, when it got subbed into English, they tried to make it like Fast and Furious, which butchered it. But that's about drift racing, oh, uh, and, right. the, uh, and a lot of the, the first series, a lot of the racing takes place on a very similar hill to what Shaw's training on. Gotcha. I think you see a very similar car to it. it, it in the, in one of the scenes as well, so there's a couple of actually good little nods in there if you know some stuff. So Sean, um, because he falls in with uh, the only American kid in his school, uh, ends up inadvertently ending up at a car party after his dad's told him, "Don't go anywhere near cars, or you're out of here," and that means you're going to jail. Ends up somehow challenging someone to a, a drift race, having only just found out what drifting is. Like, oh, sure, I'll do that. Just the the first time when he's racing around and to that. be fair, I don't think he knew it was a drift race. He just challenged him to race, thinking oh, it's going to be a race. race. It's a silver or a Sylvia, the, uh, the the blue and orange car. It's gorgeous, and he slams it into the wall of this car park. Yeah, did anyone else find car destruction in this one painful? Yes, yeah. I'm just wincing. Oh. It's like the, the bit when they destroy the Mitsubishi, the green one, in the beginning of the first one. Like, no. That's a no but in this is continuously like bang, oh, oh, and he's going to carry on going and committing more atrocities to this poor car. Especially when you see it, when it, the state it's in at the end later yeah. on in the film, you're like, oh, he wrecks it. He tells it, and the owner of the car, Han, is the Dominic Toretto type character, and he's the uh, he's too cool for school. He's just eating corn nuts and looking he's totally like you know, very zen and very yeah. different about life to anyone, and we'll find out why later. Yeah, he's very composed, and uh, their relationship sort of ends up firing up in a in a slow burn kind of way, rather than the sort of "I just can't quit you, man." He, like he's in the kind first of one. he is the more the father figure in this, but yeah. a very or the big brother figure. At yes. least. yeah, the guiding the guiding sort of character for him. You can be both, by the way. Someone was disputing that uh, Dean was um, 
I think it was Chris on the uh, forum saying that Dean wasn't a uh, so much a father figure as a big brother in the Iron Giant. You you can possess elements of both. Oh most yeah, definitely. The, the, the Han is definitely sort of the guiding force that Sean sort of needs at that time. He yeah. steps in and sort of goes. Well, racing isn't like you said. Racing is you know winning a race doesn't prove that only proves that you're faster than you are. Yeah. Anything else? And he starts like he's he causes Sean to question things and to again that growth to the point where he has the argument later on in the film with his dad who goes no it's my mess let me sort it out yeah. and that's where he steps up and as Sharon was saying becomes the man because he steps up and realize, takes responsibility and tries to fix the situation also did anybody else get the subtle implication of that conversation with his father what he's basically saying to him is you didn't sort your mess out you yes. walked away from your mess yeah what this really boils down to, okay, the, the rest of the film you can imagine sort of pans out in a sort of he learns to drift and there's a lot of montages and he starts to do that. He starts to take more responsibility. He goes from being disrespectful and not really knowing what he's doing to being able to measure a situation more. And it all ties in with the drift itself. The drift is about awareness. And I twigged this while I was uh, choosing a driver on the uh, grid yesterday. And I had to choose between uh, like someone who ranked high in aggression. I thought, no. And uh, the Japanese driver was really high in awareness. And I thought, well, that's because he can he's able to sort of measure his drift around it. Because the, the drift-specific courses, it's not about how fast you go. It's about knowing where the car is in relation to the other rest of the environment. What being an adult really entails at least in this is about knowing who you are in relation to the rest of the world that's what being a child isn't yeah uh, yeah it really is and that's why the out of the uh, the sort of the subplot is that BK is trying is he trying or is he, he he's sort of playing Yakuza yeah DK is a mean jock type who is has mob re- relations his uncle's basically Yakuza yeah uh, and he's the he's called DK because he's the drift king and he's like the most super badass of everything and he's got this girlfriend who ends up getting the hots for Sean because he's um different a stand up guy actually it's not just that he's different different may have piqued her interest but she eventually begins to be uh drawn to the fact that he's decent mm. Yeah. And if you look at uh, things like the way um, DK reacts to his uncle's comment about his father um, and the conversation that he has with Neela, he it is very obvious that he has massive, massive um, self-doubt issues and that he is terrified of the world that he is trying to attach himself to because that's all he knows and it's caused him to become something that he wouldn't otherwise have been Neela says at one point he's changed she's known him for a long time she's known him since she was quite young Um, so for her to say that he's changed is obviously quite a significant thing Um, and I I think they they managed to do this sort of, well Justin Lin manages to do this sort of subtle implication about what's going on behind those characters with quite a few different people, he certainly does it with Han um, the uh, the conversation the other the other scene I really loved was the conversation where he says about um, the, basically the cost of a car to find out what a man's made of mm. I consider that money well spent basically um, but the the expression on his face at that point you can see that he's obviously been in situations where um, he's had hangers on cause him 
massive problems. He doesn't want to be surrounded by sycophants anymore. He wants to have people around him who he can actually interact with and and relate to. Mm -hmm. We also get our first notable death as uh, after DK chases them uh, when his uh, uncle comes in and says, he reels off a piece of, um, it's a fable from, I actually recognized from what Katie did which is, uh, for the want of a nail, the horseshoe was lost. For the want of a horseshoe, the horse was lost. For the want of the horse, the rider was lost. For the want of a rider, the message was lost. For the want of the message, the battle was lost. For the want of the battle, the war was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. And what he's basically saying is, fix your shit. Deal with this small problem, because otherwise it will become a big problem. Mm. Again, that was unexpected. There are multiple moments throughout this film that they don't straight out say, but you can assess. So yeah. the, um, the, uh, the the when um, Sean talks to his father, you can see the trappings of the fact that he's been in the Navy around the uh, apartment, but it, it ne- he never goes into a speech about, son, I used to be with the Navy, and blah, 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 blah. It's just, it's there for you to actually ascertain. What was the other bit that I just thought was, was kind of subtle, Sharon? Do you remember? Somewhere around uh, the middle. Oh, it's the it's it's the comment that um, uh, DK's uncle makes about his father. I miss your father. That's all he says. That's it. Yeah, DK's uncle, um, after saying "sort out your shit," picks up a picture of uh, this boy's father and says, "I miss your father." Puts it down and walks out, which implies I killed my own brother because I had to. I'm Yakuza. There was a reason for it. I will kill you. Fix your shit. There's also, if you if you know Yakuza stuff, there's subtle nods in there, like uh, the end race, the guy that starts it. Yeah, he's missing he's fingers. Missing fingers. Yeah. I think he might be actual Yakuza. He possibly could be, or former. I'm scared. It's like a Guy Ritchie <laughs> film. But yeah, there's also the speech that his dad gives him, which also, strangely enough, involves nails. Yeah. But, you know, what was it? Um, is, a, is it a proverb or a saying around here? That, the nail uh, that sticks out gets hammered. Yeah. So... Yeah, a DK chases them, and very unexpectedly, Han dies in a sudden um, explosion after he, 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 a horrible crash. It's set up in a way that you think he might be able to be saved by Sean, and, and there's, that real, that there's real tension there. You're thinking, oh, okay, he's gonna now that Sean rescues him, he's going to uh, feel much closer to. Oh my God, he's dead! He's there's, dead. There's something I want to say about this scene, which is really awkward. Because uh, it involves five and six. It involves six. So you, let's just say it's very well played. That's all I'm going to say. Um, yeah, that's it. That's all I can say. I literally <laughs> cannot say anything. You'll find out more next week, folks, and we'll find out more tomorrow when we get to see that film. We've never seen I think, five or six. I think seeing this film so close to seeing six, sticking in mind, because when I watched this franchise a fair bit, so when I saw the scene in question at six, which isn't post credits, it's it's quite it is at the end. You'll see. You don't have to wait. Uh, it blew my mind how well it was done. Oh. What I'm going to okay. say, it's, it's um, all good. That's the other thing we haven't mentioned. Uh, this actually takes place out of sequence. Uh, I don't know why this, this decision was made. Maybe Basically, they didn't have a plan. Until Justin Lin came along, they didn't actually have a plan. Right. So that they, they, this... they did this cut. They, they, they stuck Dom in at the end, and then 4 happens to take place before 3, because Han is in that... Um, and alive and running with Dom and then five still takes place before three and then six still takes place before three so seven will be the first one to take place after three yeah 
it, this is the crazy thing. It's never really mentioned up. You don't work. You can't really work out the timeline because once you, you've seen four, I know we're not talking about four, but when you hit four, four almost feels like it's it could be. It's really weird how they play it. Four feels like it could be a sequel to one. Yeah, the proper sequel. Like two was just messing around. Yeah, which is how it's felt until you get to five. Ah. <laughs> yeah, technically this this one should chronologically come last in our reviews, but sorry, we're going to talk about it on you know in in release release order because it yeah, it was actually quite a joke between my friends who do love these films. Like this is you know for a simple film, this has got a really confusing timeline. Yeah, but it, I suppose that the seven I, I haven't seen five and six yet, but it it. it it comes at just about the right time to sort of wrap things up and move things on to the next period because without um, Paul Walker, it's going to be a different series. So they're going to—I would assume—since Lucas Black is now in Seven, that yes. they're going to—he's going to be the guy who runs with Dom since Han is also dead. It's hard to say. It's just mentioned that he's in. Mm. Don't know how big the role is, but I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. Slightly disappointed about how I was not in it. It's been rumored he might be, but don't want to uh, say uh, anything too early. Um, but I mean, it's why not put him in it? He's you know even just it, he would fit with uh, once you once you sort of get to five where it, this franchise gets a whole new. I get this one gives it a new lease of life. Five really kicks it to another level. Mm. Well, uh, technically, that, four gave it a new lease of life because like after I mean we'll talk about this next week, but um, after the this one as I said it made 158 million versus 236 for the last one and 207 for the other one so it was almost like we've got to do something different for this fourth one or these ones are going to be the law of diminishing returns so they asked the cast do you want to come back and do this again and it turned out no one was busy yeah yeah, the careers had which is kind of funny because it was just meant to be a cameo at the end I know you mentioned it uh, we get a lot we get this is a reason for a lot of the fans of the first two to go see this the third one was because yeah. the rumor went around there's a cameo by Dom at the end yeah. and it sets up a lot of stuff it uh, alludes to somehow even though it's after, it was made before them it alludes to four five and six yeah quite clever also the ways um Han is in this film makes sense once you've seen four five and six Okay. Well, they, they were doing it retrospectively. It's pretty easy to fill in True. your backstory when you're doing it. You say that, but I've seen them mess that up. Yeah. Well, yeah. Star Wars for a Before start. Before the uh, uh, say it, but yeah. Dominic cameo, um, there's uh, the finale. Basically, after Han's death, rather than going off on a roaring rampage of revenge, Sean appears to grow up and get that awareness because he basically goes right I'm going to fix my shit I'll charge, challenge DK to a one to one race get this one sorted and um, like in Avatar and Dances with Wolves he goes to Japan and becomes the best drift racer ever because it, he beats the drift king it was actually kind of funny it's a wrestling storyline it's mm. a loser leaves town race yeah which actually makes sense it's, it's also the karate kid the new one with uh, Jackie Chan it, but it, it's, it's non-violent mm-hmm and they both agree, and it's about honour. They, yeah. they swear on their honour, in essence, that they will abide by whoever loses will leave town. Yeah, which is actually quite different. You don't get the you don't get the too fast, too furious ending, or the fast and furious ending with the gunfire or anything. It's just about who is who is the better man. 
I did love that line about um, when he goes to talk to DK's uncle and he says, basically, your nephew and I have embarrassed ourselves. Uh, that The idea that that is part of growing up, that you can look at what you've done and say, this was idiotic and I'd really like to apologize for it. And you better make it good because Sonny Chiba will kick your ass. Oh, well, yes, will. there is that. He's got a sword that could cut God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Favourite car in this one? I'm cheating. I want to say the Hulk one because that out of all the cars I've seen is so unique, but it's not. It's, um, it's the hybrid at the end, the best way I can put it. It is a... It's the engine in it's yeah. the Tokyo the Tokyo Drift engine in the muscle car body in the Mustang. I think as Sharon even predicted, you know, you couldn't do this with a uh, with a Mustang. And I said, wait a second, and I hadn't. I hadn't <laughs> it's not like they didn't years. foreshadow this. <laughs> I, and I said, wait a second, the, his dad's building and rebuilding a Mustang. I reckon he's going to drive that Mustang at the end. It's going to be better than all the best drift cars made for drifting in Japan. And of course it was. I love the fact that it is like it's combining the best of American and the best of Japanese. With I love the fact that they also tune it. It's not just like stick this engine in there and it'll work. It's like you know just they had to keep twisting knobs and turning dials and things until it's just tuned just right to be able to take that particular pass. Mm. It's it's a really lovely uh, moment. And, and it's it's um. It's a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor for Sean as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say the Sylvia, but I changed my mind. I like that souped-up Mustang with the Japanese heart. Me too. <laughs> Although, honourable mention to the Hulk minivan. Of course. For pure awesomeness. Don't we all wish we had one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wish I had one? Don't think I'd be there driving. Okay, so you guys rank the first three in terms of your favourites. Okay, um, I'll go first. This is shocking to me, but I'm ranking this in reverse, uh, in its literal reverse order as three, two, and one. Whoa! I three. You like two more than one? I do. Again, because like I said, going back to it, I felt it was a little bit dated, a little uh, light on the explanation of certain characters, and I think it just took itself a shade too seriously. Where the second one and the third one have serious moments, but still managed to maintain a quite a nice level of levity. Mm. and comedy in it that makes it an enjoyable ride and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying the first one's bad I still like the first one but I, I didn't realise how much I liked the third one until I went and watched it today and how much fun it was it really is fun it's especially apparent that it was really great fun when you immediately afterwards watch 4 <laughs> so enjoy oh, yes. Neil or rather don't I, I'm sorry oh I know I, I, I've seen this franchise a lot I know what's coming in 4 yeah I saw four first on a plane, and I kept nodding off and waking up, and it was still the same scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, I can't even argue that. That that is a shame. I, I mean, I remember. I don't know. It's not something we often talk, but how hyped I was for four. Mm. You know, because I love this franchise, and the right. trailer saying, "What was it?" Um, it's like Old, uh, original model no hang on uh, new model original parts original parts and it's like yeah. oh wow they're, they're all coming back they're all coming back I was so excited because this is a franchise that I really liked and you know for the longest time I thought I was just one of the few because you know we often hear we talk about you know all the films like Avengers and stuff like that it's not sort of film you expect everyone to love but it's, as it's gone on it's grown and grown and the love for it's gone and seeing these characters come back was like it was amazing it's like oh the original cast is coming back I'm so excited and then it happened. And it was okay. <laughs> it was passable. 
It was enough to get to five, at least. If you say five and six are good, I think four's going to be my least favourite of the series. But uh, um, The change that happens in five sticks with six, you will really enjoy. Cool. Yeah. It, because they essentially become heist films. Okay. Which really works. Don't get me wrong, the physics and the car stuff gets even stupider. Oh, okay. But it's still fun to watch. Speaking of physics, so much of this driving is like, this is all actual stunt driving? How much CG went into Tokyo Drift, do you think? More than the others. Oh, really? Uh, a lot more. That's well, it was what very I well said, hidden isn't it? Because uh, it, it, it felt as real as it gets. There's a lot of the drift stuff that you, is actual real. Uh, mm. Like the, um, the, the, the the race in the car park. Yeah, going around that. Like, uh, a lot of the stuff, like I think yeah. when Han's showing off, that's real as well, where he, he does the donut around the car. Mm. But I, the, the the scene in I can't remember the scene. I do love the bit Tokyo where Marito loses his uh, drift and goes. It's like a total baby. He's not growing up. <laughs> but um, but a lot of these films, for the most part, did try to use as much real mm. car work as possible. Later on, that unfortunately does go out the window because the, the car stuff just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Right. It, but. The most part, this, this the first half of the trilogy, um, just try to use as much um, actual car stuff as possible, and they, and that helps because even then, when they use CGI, they don't overuse it. Yeah, well, that, I, I didn't notice. I only noticed one bit that was definitely CGI at the end of four when they come bursting out the mountain because that would possibly kill a man. Really, the whole chase looks so terrible today. well i was bored to tears but i didn't notice it being obviously fake um sharon rank the first three i think i'm gonna go with three one two i am really torn between three and one because i really like them both for different reasons uh, i think i'm gonna go with three one two though because three just wins out in that it probably functions better on its own if you saw no other fast and furious film you could just see this one and go yeah okay i, I kind of get what these films are about ironically um rob cohen said the opposite he said that if you uh if he is the director of the first one if you only watch tokyo drift you wouldn't want to watch any other fast and furious films because I think you said that. Outside. I'm hoping you said that as the fact that that one was actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> I think he meant uh, that uh, he really he meant didn't the opposite. like it. Yeah. The trouble is, let's face it, past this, all right, with my exception of actually liking Triple X, he then went on to do Stealth, which is god awful. Oh, Stealth. The Mummy 3, which is god awful. Yep. Alex Cross, which uh, is god awful. Didn't Rob Cohen do the Monster Squad? Uh, no. Did Dragonheart? Hang. Who did do the Monster Squad? <laughs> he did Dragonheart and Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Oh, see, I like Dragon the Bruce Lee story. I like Dragon the Bruce Lee story. I like Dragonheart as well, as well actually. Uh, Dragonheart too. He, he he did Daylight as well, which I'm kind of meh on. Sorry, Fred Decker uh, directed Monster Squad. I don't know where I got Rob Cohen from that. I was thinking, I don't think he's old enough to have directed the Monster Squad. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, no, produced the Monster Squad. Ah, uh, I knew there was a reason. I think that kind of wraps it up in a, the, the, the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift was the big surprise of this series so far. Mm. I, I, I remember seeing it the first time and thinking, this is all right. I miss Vin Diesel, though. And uh, am I, am oh, that, I even the cameo was good. The cameo was, was good. but it That was really actually a good way of doing it. a cameo. It didn't feel like a throwaway thing, and it yeah. felt right into the events, which 
was good because normally cameos can be kind of mm. the prime example would be any Stan Lee cameo is usually what you'd call a throwaway one. Yeah, but now that I've seen uh, Fast Four, which has been throughout, I can tell you right now that the magical combination really? of elements for a really great Fast and Furious film does not require Vin Diesel. Not necessarily. No. But hold the faith, it does get better, trust me. I hope I hope you enjoy five and six because they, so do we. they are fun. Otherwise they, next they, week's they, gonna be a pretty short show. Although I do admit that either you or Sharon are gonna go, Oh come on when it gets to the post credit scene in five and six. <laughs> well, okay. Oh yeah, the, actually there was a bit in the, the Oh that was it. Yeah. He walked into the club in Japan and like all the girls were sort of like canoodling and and singing and dancing and uh, then two girls like draped themselves over him and I just because he's American possibly or maybe just because he's handsome and I said this club doesn't exist. But that's the highest fantasy in the series so far. Oh boy, wait till you see you 5 and 6. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go watch Talk now. You go watch Talk. Have you got Talk? I do. <laughs> okay, you go watch Talk. Um, we've got, we will... I live my life one quarter mile at a time. <laughs> what kind of idiot says that? <laughs> Comes you, actually, shit. there's one thing about that film that is fun, not funny. It killed the director's career. Oh. Because he literally did it as a parody. Hmm. Mm. But didn't tell Not the enough studio. Got it. Yeah, he didn't tell the studio he was doing it as a parody. So. You see, he needs to take a tip from is it Chris and Bill? Uh, Lord and Miller. Yeah, they they're sneaky with that. Yeah, you yeah, just is. nod sagely and go, "Yep, this is exactly what I wanted to do." Um, because um, he was on the film show I used to listen to slash filmcast and he talked about it and he said yeah I, I did it as a parody my biggest problem was I didn't tell them I was doing it as a parody yeah. and so he they thought it was a flop when it wasn't he's done a few bits but as a big screen kind of thing no just a shame because I actually like that film a lot I think it's got a lot going for it sheer insanity is the best Shame. I was going to say, given how bright 3 is, if we had it on Blu-ray, I think it probably would have blinded us. I was only watching it in 720, and even I was going, damn. (laughs) I survived Speed Racer. I could survive this. True. God, Speed Racer was like a rainbow unicorn had vomited on the screen. (laughs) I thought it was like uh, getting shot in the face with a blunderbuss full of Skittles. (laughs) (laughs) And now I get to tell you my good news. Which is? I forgot to tell you. I, I have some good news. Jenna is expecting our first baby on the 14th of February. Oh, wow. Oh, congratulations, Neil. That's fantastic. Very well done. Thank you. Thank you? Thank you for (laughs) propagating. Thank you for telling us. Thank you for telling us, of course. Yes, thank you. That's amazing. Oh, give Shona my best and tell her to look after herself. She is doing, she is doing. I've just, I've not really mentioned anything on Facebook and Twitter. I've told the Gameverse crew they know. Understandable, yeah. But yeah, uh, I've seen the scandals. I need it. Oh, you just moved in together. You move fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, we planned moving in last year. Mm. I just wanted to obviously make sure I'd get a job and everything. And I gave us time so we could settle and get used to the idea. Yeah. And um, a couple of weeks before due to move in, I 
got a phone call from Shannon and she's in tears and I'm like, what's up? What's up? She goes, please don't be mad at me. It's like, I can't be mad at you. What's up? She goes, I'm pregnant. <laughs> at which point I burst into tears. Oh, I was so happy. Oh. Oh. So yeah, um, 14th of February as well, so. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've had the first scan and everything's good. We go for the detailed scan on the 29th. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. So when I start getting all panicky and stuff around January, you know why? <laughs> well, I can talk you through the whole fatherhood thing. It's uh, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, You'll be all right for the first few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> then the feces begins. I, I, it's the panic. I, I, I'm doing the manly thing of I'm thinking about, right, this and this for the house. When the baby turns up, I'm just going to go, ah! <laughs> but, I will cope. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, we we, we will be a, a, an infinite resource of advice should you so need it. So uh, uh, trust me, I probably will be asking. <laughs> and Tony and Liz as well; they've got yeah, to, they've got to deal with double that. So uh, and Zan's offered as well, which is of course, great. yeah, Zan. So, so I'm surrounded by a lot of people I'm going to ask. Them. Yeah, that, that it's helps. good to be networked and this and oh yeah, yeah definitely. But also, um, th- this show will be finding out cherry pick. For the love of God, don't take anyone's word as gospel. Yeah, we we have been, we have been yeah. so. But up until baby gets here, uh, it's uh, just a case of carrying as best we can, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Oh, well, that was a lovely bit of news. Yeah. Thank I you. you at the end. Yep. Just want to pause mid-show to say a big thank you to the special patrons this month. Uh, that would be Joel Robinson, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Livio De La Cruz, Scott Corzine, and Nick Grugan. And, of course, everybody else who supports this show and New Century on Patreon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And following that heartwarming little revelation there, uh, eagle-eared listeners will notice that we recorded this back in September. Subsequently, Neil and Shona brought into the world just a few weeks ago little baby Mikey. So, Mikey, I'm going to play you one of Lyra's very favourite pieces of music from the Fast and Furious series. Uh, This will help you learn to count to four. It's Conteo by Don Omar. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, marchando mi combo forma un alboroto. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, salte. ¿Qué va pasando mi combo? Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, marchando la casta forma un alboroto. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. ¿Qué va pasando mi culo? Me pasó la poder esa tela. Si el esfuerzo te controla, el negro te consuela. Esa consola, Ornel y la abuela, como se no sea, la misma canela, vea, vea, que pura candela, me hicieron su vela, a lo bien escuela, ella tiene ese bloque que a mi combo de pela, no le dé la vela, o te va por pela, vea, vea, que pura candela, me hicieron su vela, a lo bien escuela, ella tiene ese bloque que a mi combo de pela, no le dé la vela, o te va por pela, mancha, uno, dos, tres, cuatro, Back for more highly increased momentum with a distinct likelihood of ferocity. Today we're covering 2009's Fast and Furious, 
Now, until we'd started these podcasts, I'd seen the first four, and Sharon had seen the first and vaguely remembered the second. Our guest, Neil Taylor, is a huge fan of the series. Hello, Neil. Hello. Grab your thunderpants. I have. So this is a very personal show for him. We're going to start. This is also payback for the Transformers films. Yeah, I'm welcome. I'm sure. <laughs> We'll start off with the movie that brought the series back to the core characters from the original, Fast and Furious. Now, since these ones are more recent and not everyone has seen them, we're going to have to try not to spoil the later films while talking about the earlier ones, so spoilers will happen only as we cover each film in turn. So we can't really talk about five while we're talking about four, and so on and so on, if that's, if that's what Yeah, we'll we're try and do that. <laughs> yeah. It's normally me that does that, so I, I will try my best. Uh, we'll, we'll have to sort of go, well, there's a thing that uh, happens... Yeah. Okay. So that might be annoying while you're listening to it, folks, but it's to make sure that people don't end up spoiling because there are some real spoilery type things that, that happen later on. Okay. So 2009's Fast and Furious. Sharon, you saw it just the other day. I saw it on the plane to PAX in 2009. Not the best place to really see it. Tiny little screen, shitty little Walkman speakers. And um, I was already very tired. And I'd also seen Terminator Salvation and X-Men Origins colon Wolverine in the same flight. So I was already cheesed off with cinema. And this one just about capped me off. Neil, did you actually see it in theatres? I did. Do you want to go on this one? Because I have difficulty really getting my fingers into the cracks, if you know what I mean. Okay, well, this one, one, I I remember talking about this on the last show, that I was really excited for this one, seeing the original cast return uh, after... Strange enough, at the time, not liking Tokyo Drift, mm, which is shocking. in the same boat, yeah. A lot, because it, the way I describe it, it pulled the Halloween on us, where we'd had, like, two films of one set of characters, then mm. we did something completely different. Yeah. Which actually, as we found out last time, worked really well. Yeah. Well, I um, haven't seen Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, but I imagine it felt very similar to audiences at the time. It is a very weird bait and switch, because it was a Halloween film, and up until that point, everyone knew Halloween as Michael Myers. Or indeed, bait and witch. Oh, Carry on. <laughs> Fair play. oh uh, we hate movies have reviewed Halloween three season of the witch. If you folks want to hear about more of that, you know, it's how you first two films, you establish, a, you establish a world and you establish a set of characters. And then all of a sudden with the third one, we got this sudden change. And as we, as I found out going back to it, you know, what? it worked really well. I, I still cannot believe how much I love the third one. Mm. It's been such a long time since I'd seen it. And then, you know, I'm feeling slightly let down by the third one. We we got all excited because, hey, they're bringing the, the original cast back. But they're all coming back. Yeah. So, which you'd, you'd imagine it would increase suddenly Paul Walker's back in and it increases. And then Vin Diesel's back in and it increases even more. You had Jordana Brewster and Michelle Rodriguez. Suddenly, it's just <laughs> exactly the same combination of elements as before. Just with, with a new director who, I don't know, was... I suppose to people at the time, passable on Tokyo Drift. Uh, yeah, he, he he's still. Um, little did we know he was going to be as good as he was. Um, you know, he, he still had a good reputation. It wasn't that Tokyo Drift was a bad film. I think it was just because it wasn't the crew. Mm. If that makes sense, it wasn't those cast of characters you'd got familiar with. Yeah, so that that was you know. So you know, we knew we were in safe hands. We're all excited. We go to the cinema to watch it, and then <laughs> wow. This, well, so, so what I is did, it? What was the issue then? Well, it's really weird because uh, we talked last time. One of the really annoying um, inconsistencies running through the first few films is Brian O'Connor's character. 
Mm-hmm. We start off with him as sort of a naive undercover cop. Mm-hmm. Then he's a bit easy, um, happy-go-lucky in the second one. You know, he's a bit more relaxed. One of the Duke boys. <laughs> then we cut back. Now, this is where it also gets very confusing. He's an FBI agent all of a sudden. Sharon no, pointed that one out. <laughs> no mention of what happened in Miami, although they uh, will come to us. They rewarded Te- him for his criminal activities with not only reinstatement on the police force, but the FBI. My only guess is because they took down technically into a cartel, a cartel guy, it was enough mm. to get him into the FBI or something. But it's never really explained, so it leaves you thinking, oh, wait, did two not happen? So you're thinking then, is it one of those... A retcon where the second one never happened. Yeah. You know, sometimes they do do that. In a lot of the um, uh, uh, extra material, we watched several of these um, today. They they go to they go back to the Fast and the Furious, and then they show if it, for the later ones they show four, then five, and six, and then they go oh and there are these other ones, uh, and very briefly show a few shots of Roman and Brian together, and uh, um, maybe it- a car from Tokyo Drift. But I never saw not through any of those um, extras did I see Sean's face. No, it's, it's very strange. Uh, so. So we've gone to, he's very serious as well in this film. And there's a tonal shift and a color shift, which is, I don't want to say out of place, but the way I describe this film is it takes itself too seriously and loses a lot of the, the humor that carries these films as well, which is really annoying. Also too much CGI cars. Yeah. Too much CGI cars. It's very imbalanced. Uh, And I started to think, this feels really like a Michael Bay film, just the way it was lit and the way it was photographed. And I thought, right, who did the cinematography? Amir Mokri, director of photography. Also, Man of Steel, very like a Michael Bay film. Bad Boys 2, very like a Michael Bay film. And Transformers Dark of the Moon. That's the. uh, Unfilmed to Michael Bay. (sighs) So, I mean, it's. He's, he really knows his stuff, and he really knows how to deliver exactly that kind of film. However, if that's not exactly the kind of film you're going for... Yeah, I mean, I mean, he does a good job. It, it starts off very action-packed with a, a, a good sequence, which I don't think I've seen anything similar to that before, with this weird road train heist, which is different. The uh, bit where they um, they're, they're unstrapping the various uh, tankers from the back of this um, a road train it's called ro- it's basically an extra uh, an extra long yeah. lorry but it's so long that the guy in the cab doesn't even know he's being robbed yeah you know that, that was you get into a quiet and that feels like Fast and Furious you know mm. that sort of feels that's nice at the same time it's brightly lit it, it's it's got the elements of danger, but it's got everything you expect. There's sort of humour as well, the, the, the comedic characters yeah. there. It evokes the uh, the truck heist in the first one, which we never mentioned in the first podcast, is really good and a great stunt. And when that, uh, that Jake yep. is uh, is pinned to the truck and Brian goes in to, to, oh, to help oh, him. Oh, Vince, that's, yeah. That's, sorry, Vince, not Jake. Uh, that's a great uh, sort of bit of sort of hanging out of the car. It reminds me of Speed mm. in that, that same kind of like, we've got to keep uh, at a, a set pace and there's a panic to it. Just the right amount of stakes. Hmm. Because you know that Dom and Brian aren't going to die at this point. But they could kill Vince. They could kill Letty at that stage. So there's just the right amount of stakes for that uh, uh, stunt to really uh, be impressive. And this one, when the tanker comes rolling towards them, now that I've seen five and six, really feels, as you say, very CG kind of fake. I don't know if they actually rolled a real tanker at them. I'd guess they, they probably no. didn't. No, Down, I- it's also the fact that it's... 
there's only one thing that he could do at that exact point because the walls of the canyon are very high. It's rolling at an exactly a certain speed. He can either hang back by the cliff edge. That they're exactly the right length away uh, either side of this uh, truck. It just seems kind of too perfect yeah. of a stunt to have to pull off. It is, and it's that's slightly disappointing. Going from a film that up until this point was prided itself in a lot of its practical stunts. Yeah. The, uh, I don't know if we mentioned it. The opening stunt in the Fast and Furious, the first film, mm-hmm. is practical, where you actually have a car drive underneath a trailer, stay in in sync with it, yeah. and then come out. That was incredible. I've never mentioned that either. I, but, uh, yeah. I'd like to say the stunt driver than that must have balls of steel because oh, yeah. that must have been terrifying. Sharon, your thoughts on Fast and Furious? I don't know if I really have that much more to add, to be honest with you. It was just the the overwhelming thing about it for me was that it was very grey, that it was sort of this, like gunmetal grey in tone. They were trying to be much more serious than they had been before, Mm. almost like uh, they were trying to kick off really, really hard away from Tokyo Drift. Yeah, it's like Tokyo Drift was too young and fun. This is what grown-ups like. They like dour. Mm. I mean, that, Darkness, I the, no parents. The idea that they were trying to um, to demonstrate that this is what happens when these characters grow up is fair enough. Um, but I think there was too much deliberately trying to set things in a very grown-up world. I think that's part of what putting uh, Brian in the FBI was about. Mm. You know, you, you're... Cutting his hair, you barely get to see his blue eyes. Absolutely. He's wearing a suit the whole time as well. I I just think there was too much of that that they thought would carry the characters and Mm. didn't. They do especially try to grow the characters. Um, Do you want to go? I don't know how much you want to go into the plot of it because... Uh, well, one no, thing I do well the plot of four because if people are listening at this point then it's okay they, to spot well, actually before I go to that quick question because I mentioned this when you sound watched it and you, obviously you'd seen the first three and you started it and it opened and you got the opening and then you got Brian in the FBI do you sit and just wonder when is this film meant to be taking place at all because we, we did explain before the chronology is a little bit Apparently, it's supposed to be five years. I think Mia mentioned something on the lines of that. So it's five years after the 2001, The Fast and the Furious. So it's 2006, roughly, when Tokyo Drift was released. My theory is that it goes uh, Fast and the Furious in 2001, then five years later... Sorry. I was was more thinking from just the point of view of just watching it, did you feel lost? Because obviously, right at the end of Tokyo Drift, we see Dom. Dom, yeah. And all of a sudden now we've cut back and Dom's in Mexico and you got... You know, without five, five and six to really give it a, 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 like a, a sense of place and time, yeah, I, I think the first time I would have been like, oh, I suppose this is like... Because I didn't know that... I, I, hadn't, I didn't remember Han from uh, Tokyo Drift when I saw four. So I was like, I'm sure I've seen that guy somewhere before. But it had been years since I'd seen Tokyo Drift. I saw it once. I didn't care about it that much then. I do now. Um, but it seemed, I think I was like, oh yeah, didn't they mention that they used to spend time together? But then the film moved on. I was like, right, now it's really going to heat up. And then Letty died. Yeah. It was murdered horribly. And the Which... entire rest of the film seems to be informed upon by this horrible situation. And everyone's mourning her and grieving and no one turns the lights on for the whole time. It's like the West Wing series six or five, five where they never, five, t- they never open the blinds in that one. Yeah, it, it, it sort of becomes... A battle between... It's really weird because she also dies off screen. 
We yeah. never see, which I suppose help later on. But, um, you know, it's a weird thing. You kill this sort of important character because she's set up right at the beginning of the film and in the short film that Vin Diesel made mm-hmm. as being quite an important and central character to Dom. Is that on any of the discs anywhere? It should. Uh, Lost Bandoliers should be on the disc. Oh, it is actually. Yeah, so I thought that was a music video for a, a song called Lost Bandoliers. Damn, I need to watch that. No, it's actually a short film that he did for sort of um, filling in the blanks. And it's, I think, I'm sure it's Vin that actually. That's how much he cares it. about these films. He, yeah, he does. He's very. I think because this is what brought him to the public eye, he does care a lot about these characters. Mm. So all of a sudden you get this. Well, he was the one who gathered the original cast back again. They basically said, you know, this would have been after Tokyo Drift when he'd done his um, little cameo. And they were like, Vin, we'd really like to do another one of these, but we need everyone back. Can you get them? Yeah, I'll have a go. Karen? Uh, and unfortunately, they, as Sharon said, they come with this. I call it, uh, like I said, I think it takes itself too seriously and it drops a lot of the things that are appealing about these films, the sort of sense of humor, that sense of, as I said, I actually tweeted you earlier, the, the bromance is yeah. gone from it as well, which is yeah. something a lot of people enjoy. That that camaraderie between the characters is all gone. And for the entirety of this film, you have basically Vin, uh, sorry, you have Dom on this whole vengeance kick. Yeah. So that's what he's doing. He is out to kill Bragger. He's a man on fire. Yeah. A little bit too triple X-y, actually, I thought. Oh, dude, we, we watched the first hour of triple X earlier today. It's rubbish. By today's standards, if you want a really good reason why the Marvel Cinematic Universe is excellent, watch triple X and look at the state of action films in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like I said, it seems to have taken... It seems to have its... It, this film has had its charisma removed, is the only way I can think of point. Yeah. It's certainly, yeah, it's lacking on char- in charm. Also, you know, you bring back all the characters, like, yeah, all the characters, and then you kill one of them. It's like, what? You kill one of them. I, I checked the chronology. I thought, could this be to do with the fact that uh, Michelle Rodriguez was sent to jail uh, for, uh, like, several times uh, in the past uh, 10 years or so uh, for uh, various um, uh, DUIs? And um, I, I did some reading, and that didn't actually correspond. So it's oh. almost like they got her in for a cameo. It is. Um, it, it does feel like that. There's actually a funny story which we'll talk about in the next one, a bit of trivia. But Also, this being 2009, an Avatar coming out a few months later, you got to see her die twice. Twice. <laughs> well, you see, you definitely see her die in Avatar. Yeah, you, you definitely see the circumstances leading to her death by explosion at least once. <laughs> but you get my point. Yeah, yeah I mean, th- this film just basically rolls around them taking down Braga, this cartel guy, and it, it becomes... Not only is it, as you put it, grimdark, it, it's also really kind of little formulaic action film yeah. as well. It's like, you know how it's going to go. You know the beats. And it's a bit... It just feels... If Jim Carnahan had directed this, it might actually have made, it gotten like a really hard-boiled edge to it. And if he'd sort of changed the tone and made it fit his... Have you ever seen Knock? Or um, what else did Jim Carnahan do? Joe Carnahan. Sorry. I was. If Joe Carnahan had done this, and I was about to, to uh, really praise his uh, directing ability and uh, uh, capacity for doing stony, gritty, dark action thrillers, he did Knock. Uh, he did The Grey, which I really liked recently with Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson punches wolves yeah. in the face. And uh, also with Liam Neeson, he did The A Team. Well, which I like. Get everything. I do quite like The A Team, but uh, it goes on a bit. It does, and yeah. the tank. I still prefer is. the A Team to um, uh, 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 Fast and Furious Four. At least the A Team was fun. 
Yeah, that is the biggest thing, the, the lack of fun. It's such... Yeah. It's I don't want to bash on it, but it, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's just yeah. not fun. And this franchise sort of has got by on the fact it is fun. Of the four that we've talked about so far, this is my least favourite. It's the one I would least want to see again. And considering what happens in five and six, it actually doesn't set up that much. Who do we, what and who do we get as a result of this film? We get Giselle, who is uh, played by Gal Gadot, yep. and uh, turns up in five and six and is uh, a f- an important support character. And she's delicate and uh, exotic and quiet and sort of gets to Dom and tries to sort of draw out his slightly more sensitive side. And we get to know about Dom by the way he's thinking about Letty through Giselle. But what else do we get? Bragger, who does crop back up later. Yeah, we get this um, drug dealing type guy. I think I I remember talking to Sharon and saying, okay, right, so when's... um, This guy was talking about his boss, Bragger, in the third person. I said, he talks about himself in third person? And Sharon said, no, that's not Bragger. And I thought, it seems like he really should be Bragger. And then I remembered when it it turned out that it was Bragger. I was like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that'd be, of course, why he was. Because if you talk about this guy... Um, always in these sort of hushed tones, you you then have to deliver someone of incredible charisma, and that's another thing that the uh, fast films have had lacking since day one. Really great antagonists of like Hans Gruber levels. Yeah, I don't think they pull that off till much later, unfortunately. So I mean, yeah, you need some sort of challenge for your for your lead characters, and uh, that what yeah in the first one you've got is it Tran. Ran. Yeah, yep. uh, who uh, who does actually hurt them because he, he kills Jesse and uh, presents a genuine threat and then gets taken out. But really the conflict there is between Dom and uh, Brian. And the second one, you've got Cole Hauser in his pajamas, just not bothering and then bringing out that rat in a bucket. And the third one, you've got DK, who again is kind of very similar to Chan, uh, but a bit more conflicted. But again, doesn't ever really... Okay, mind you, I say that, it, it does he again, kills someone very important or leads to their death. And in this one, you've got Bragger, who again fails to really register as a major threat. The, the, the weird thing with Letty that... being killed, so... The threat there doesn't actually come from him. It comes from his number two guy, the, the yeah. weird, creepy... Phoenix. Phoenix guy. He's a looking fellow. He actually comes across more of a threat and more dangerous than the, the head of the cartel. I bet so, yeah. So, so the end the, the end is actually we've jumped to the end because the the middle of it is all just car chasing and talking and it's not a lot i mean the and the the, the big sin like we said that well i think they it goes it, it's too heavy on the cgi for a lot of its yeah. races especially the, the its set piece it's 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 standout moment where it's meant to be this incredible claustrophobic tight race through these mine shafts mm. It just looks like a really bad video game. Yeah, because it didn't really feel real. Uh, and also because the lighting is um, its very gr- dark and grey, and so you've got a lot of cars in a dark grey background racing across a featureless desert into a mountain where it's very dark and grey. Everything's moving extremely fast and things explode at the speed of speeder bikes, and then they come out. And it feels like somewhere along the way, the edge-of-your-seat stuff got lost. Oh, the other thing that becomes a thing for this film, franchise in this film is the cross. Is Dom's cross? Yeah. Or is it Letty's cross? The cross, basically. The Dom silver had it cross. in his uh, Dodge Charger in the first one. It was yeah. hanging off the wing mirror. 
And I think he wore it several times as well. It would suggest that, that it was probably his dad's. Yeah. It, 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 that's, it, it really... I don't know if it becomes, it becomes a character, but it becomes a... It's a thing. It's a symbol, and it it, it, start, it grows throughout these films. It, it still now is actually a, it's a well. I should imagine by now it's going to be a plot point type thing for seven or eight. Seven, yeah. Um, what's that word in uh, Inception for the little spinning top show? Totem. Totem. Uh, totem. Yeah, it's Don's totem. Uh, it's uh, an important object to him. Uh, what are we missing? Oh, yeah, there's a really grisly bit where at the end the um, Phoenix, the right-hand man, is trying to get away and Brian grabs him while Dom charges in in his charger. He, Brian grabs him by the leg so that he can get squashed against a car. It's grisly and miserable uh, of, of, a, of, a, of a victory. I mean... Yeah. Uh, also that... Um, I, well, it carries on from this point, but Dom is more violent in this film. He yeah. actively takes out racers there. It never explicitly says that it would keep they're dead, but the way the crashes go, they should be dead. Yeah. He's a man on fire. I, I was going to say, I think that does kind of have contextual fit, though, because he's acting like somebody who is rapidly running out of things to lose. Mm. I think the point is he's meant to have clicked into that same mindset he was in when he saw the guy that killed his father. Yeah. Mm. That's what yeah. It, doesn't, it, it makes him just... I don't want to... <laughs> It's weird because you want to like this character, but he blatantly, he he is taking out guys that really don't have anything to do with it. Yeah, it just makes him. It's like he shouldn't really be doing that, you know. Yeah, he should cause them to crash, but not in a. I think it's just a way of upping the, the action on screen that they they make these crashes completely over the top. But you look and go, well, that guy'd be dead. Also, um, they when they cut to the actual, I think they go to like a race. And then you get the girls in the hot pants and there's girls dancing around in a club. This is the one where I, I've mentioned, Sharon, that there's a lot of girls kissing and necking. And that's when um, Brian and uh, Dom are sort of driving around and, and Dom says something along the lines of like, you know, same old, same old. And goes, <laughs> and they suddenly seem like the guys in the club who are just, you know, they ain't too old, just a little too old to be in a club. You know, the yeah. Lionel Richie in his leather pants staring at the young flesh and of course the girls are getting off with each other because when if the the idea is marketing wise if teenage boys see girls necking with boys they feel inferior they need they want the girls to be available and to think well those girls are going to want to kiss each other but it's also also sharon you mentioned that they're not really into it they don't seem to really be see this is the thing i I think the comment i made was there's more girls copping off with each other in this than there was in chasing amy yeah Um, but um the thing is that happens as well in tokyo drift when um sean walks into the party there's a, a couple of girls um canoodling in a corner but sean's looking at it like jaw hit the floor oh my god it emphasizes what that he's a teenager a world he's yeah. walked into that he has no concept of that, he, that he's, he's beneath it and at that point uh, dom and uh, brian should technically be above it and beyond it well it, it just seemed so hollow in this it was all like you know these these women are 
clearly enjoying this, but not too much. Not yeah. too much, because really what they're doing is they're doing this for you to watch. It bring it comes back to this idea of the whole male gaze thing and that everything that's happening on screen. You know what you said about whenever Dom's not on screen, I want everybody to be thinking, where's, where's Dom? Dom? When, uh, you know, whenever Dom and Brian are around, what we needed is lots of things for Dom and Brian to be looking at. Um, and <laughs> but the not being into the it thing could relate to the fact that if the girls seem to be really into it, like just really into it, then men in the audience or young boys will start feeling inferior like they're not even needed in this scenario. Well, exactly. The girls will be fine without them. It's, do you remember that episode? So like, get it, get out, go at it, girls, just not too much. Leave some for that, me. Um, that episode <laughs> of Friends where they have the, the sort of alternative universe where things might have gone very differently. Oh, yeah. And... Um, uh, Ross arranges Ross a threesome. Ross and Susan. No, Ross and what's her name? Carol. Carol. A threesome. Together, and they have a threesome with Susan. And he's walking out there like, it's like they didn't even notice I was there. She kept kicking me away. Yeah. I went to make myself a sandwich. <laughs> how, how was it? I was pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, that that's... It. In that particular context, it, it, it kind of undermines, it's like, you know, g- girls kissing each other is the epitome of edgy and decadence. decadence. And yeah, but the whole time they're kind of, you're just thinking they're doing this because they were paid to, or they're doing this because... It, so you're basically just, just watching prostitutes at that point. <sighs> That, that's not Porn any great prostitutes. No, no, no. It's, but, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's the performance element of it. So it's it's the kind of, it's live porn, basically. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. That would have made this film more enjoyable. Porn. <laughs> it would yeah, have. Yeah, it would. It's, I'm uh, sorry. I mean, it, I... At the box office, it made $363 million from an $85 million budget, which is more than twice what Tokyo Drift made. Which is a shame, but I think that is purely because, look, we've got the old cast because yeah. the story is not especially because he and this is what i give justin link credit for he learned from this film he went right this didn't work this didn't work one of the things he actually learned from this film and it's mentioned as a trivia thing for the for the next one is the backlash about the cd cg cars was so much he went right okay we will only use it to enhance scenes we or things that are far too dangerous now i'm back to practical so it's a learning process yeah and my only other thought is perhaps they got a writer in who wasn't overly familiar with the franchise and had an idea. I don't no, know. It's the same writer across the board. Yeah. I, I was thinking that. I was going over it. Like, for a start, the um, cinematographer for Tokyo for three, five, and six is Stephen F. Winden. So uh, it was this this one. They went sideways for a different cinematographer for this one outing, and then they went back to the guy from Tokyo Drift, and he. Has he's good a much better eye for being able to get the brightness and the lightness, and uh, he can he can sex it up in a way that, that he, makes you like the frames edible. I would say he does such a fantastic job of showing off the cities. He he makes Rio look fantastic. He makes London look fantastic as well, but in different ways. Just right. You just do a, a far off shot of the gherkin and make sure that the buildings are shining. <laughs> I think they actually did that, didn't they? Yeah, there's there's a point where uh, I think James Batchelor said this about uh, Harry Potter six. You know, that uh, it's okay. There's a disaster outside, but we are safe in the gherkin. And it's the same thing again. Vin Diesel is in the gherkin. You're safe. But back to, I mean, there's not much more we can say apart from the one. It doesn't feel, it feels out of place. I think that's the biggest thing to me. It doesn't feel right. The the tone just isn't quite right 
for the franchise. So, hang on, just to answer to the writer thing, Chris Morgan, same writer as uh, Fast and Furious uh, 5, 6, 7. So basically really? he wrote 4, 5, 6, and 7. So it, the, the tone was shifted by, by other factors, not the writer. Okay. Part of what made it feel a bit weird for me. Oh, and he also wrote Tokyo Drift. Sorry. Oh, good. <laughs> so, wow, he's done. He's done the majority of it then. Yep. That wow. really Three, four, is five, some six, tonal swings. Yeah. Um, it. That's it what battles us because it was like, like same director, same writer, same cinema. Well, no, different cinematographer, but same stars, and so it was like, what, what's different about four that makes it such a different animal to five? It's not just the cinematographer, surely. Carry on, Did- Karen. Did they know at this point that it was going to be four, five, and six? Oh, they just hinted no. at it. If it was a success, they'd carry on. They always hint no. at the end of each film. Like at the end of this one, she's Rio's pretty good. Yeah, but they didn't actually know. Uh, I think they knew five that they were getting another one. Uh, because oh no, I'm not. They weren't a hundred percent sure, but they, they yeah. thought there was a possibility. Hence, why you get the, the post credit scene in that one. At the end of six, they knew there was going to be a seven. They, they did know. That, yeah, that much money. In fact, because that, that part of the production difficulty lay in the fact that they wanted um, Justin Lin to just get straight on it after six and uh, and to film it within a year, and he needed more time, and so he bowed out of that and gave it to a different director. And I think he'd already decided that before he finished six. Yeah, which I can't blame him. Yeah. Right. So when they made four, it to me it feels like. It's there for setup when you look at it retrospectively, but it doesn't yeah. feel like setup while you're watching it. No. Yeah, I was, uh, does it, does this still rank bottom for uh, anyone? I mean, for Sharon, I know it ranks d- down below uh, two. Only the- just, but, and for different reasons. All right. There's uh, the um, my enjoyment of each of them was roughly equal, but two, it was because there was a lack of um, depth, and four, it was that they were trying to put too much depth in it and forgot to put the trimmings on. It needed the trimmings. Um, I'm with Sharon, actually. This is the one I enjoyed the least. Yeah. No, worse than one, then? Um, one, like I said, my biggest problem with one, it just felt a little bit dated and some of the character motivations were <laughs> missing. Since you said that, I went in and uh, did some checking on the soundtrack. My God, you're right. On that soundtrack, the first one that was released on CD is all produced by Ja Rule, so it's all this obnoxious hip-hop. Oh, and and Ja Rule was never that good in the first place. And there's a second album called More Fast and Furious, and it's all white boy, P.O.D., crap rock. Uh, from the, like, the one track that's still saliva. fairly decent is Saliva. Mm. That's the only one that dated fairly well. Not very well, but fairly well. But yeah, there's some there's some garbage in that first soundtrack, and it really has yeah, dated and and also not actual if, garbage, of course, because that would be no, awesome. yeah, garbage would have been awesome. <laughs> but, um, but if uh, yeah, if you go back to the cars as well, they're all like super high f- uh, fast production models, and um, they, the cars themselves over the series have matured as well. So it's less about what they look like. I mean, by my film six, they're just painted battleship grey. You know, it's like it doesn't matter what colour they are and whether they've got well, no, 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 this under it. It's about what they're constructed of. Well, six, there's a couple of colour references that I'm looking forward to talking about, but I'll get to that in six. But yeah, no. But, um, yeah, but the cars have grown up as, yes. as, as the series has as well. But yeah, this one, this is just not fun. It, it was. A, it felt like a... It, you know, this is the one of the few times where I'm sat there going, yeah, I'm done yet. Because this just felt like such a slog. 
and like you said, element-wise, it, it, it is a setup film, but it doesn't feel like it when you're watching it. You're thinking, this could have been the end of the series, and yeah. I suppose they try to give it a happy ending, as you know, Dom's got vengeance and whatnot. And oh, no, actually, no, the the ending was the best bit. Now that I think about it, um, Dom hands himself over to the system and says, "Okay, I've done wrong. Uh, I'm going to ask for leniency. I'm going to take it like a man." Um, do what you will with me, please. You know, he's grown. consider me as a human being, and 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 yeah, he, he's he basically he's grown. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And get shafted. He gets shafted. The system goes right. Twenty five years with no possibility of parole. Twenty five to life. Twenty five to life. So that's that's basically they doomed him at that stage, and so then it completely justifies this breakout when like you know it suddenly cuts to the sort of the cars all bearing down on the uh, the the bus. And it's like kind of a yeah moment. It's like, and then it finishes. It's like, no, that was the good bit. <laughs> yeah, no, you're exactly right. That sets the tone for five. Luckily, luckily, yeah. And it's just the guy just helped bring down one of the. I think they say he's the biggest cartel drug dealer yeah. in the United States. And they <laughs> Brian don't give him that, They make him an FBI agent. When Dom does that, they send him to jail for the rest of his life. It, it seemed almost like they were going. You made us look bad. Because yeah. that's really what it's for. It's not for murders and 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 in insane amounts of drug dealing. It's because he evaded capture for so yeah. many years and Admit. turned his nose up at the system. And they tried to make an example of him. So that kind of justifies the breakout. And so you're like, you know what? He's been a man. He's he's owned up to this one. He's tried to go as straight as he can. The system won't allow it. Yeah, he tried to be good and responsible, and he got shafted for it. Yeah. So yeah, that end moment is like. You're like, oh, how are they going to do this? How are they going to do this? And the car cuts across, it goes back in credits roll. It's like, fuck! <laughs> I <laughs> think I actually did in the cinema utter, for fuck's sake. Because that really did irritate me. Yeah. But that's suddenly when you, you, you smile and then you realise your mouth, your face has been just like numb from not smiling for the entire film. I, you know what? I think the worst thing is I tried to, I reckon, I swear I tried to convince myself I like that film for the longest time. Yeah. Because I thought, I honestly thought, I don't think they're getting another one. And luckily they did. So does it go for you four lowest, then one, then two, then three at the moment? At the moment, yes. At the moment, that's my standing. Okay. I did think it was a shame that as things stood at this point, Letty had had such a a nothing of an ending. Um, Her... Her role in this is actually really important. The fact that um, it's her actions uh, that save Dom's car, the fact that she was put in this position in the first place because she was trying to help him. Mm. Um, it's, it's I did made- like the fact that she was trying to rebuild his... Uh- uh, Dodge Charger. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the, that whole um, side of her character is all explained between other characters when she's not around. You don't get to see any of this. You don't actually get to see Michelle Rodriguez putting the leg time into creating that character to this this new level, which is a real shame because I think the, the handful of minutes that she's actually in it at the beginning, um, she did come across as a little bit cardboardy. The lines they'd given her were not. Great. Brilliant. Yeah. We should. Um, it's yeah. This is the one that introduces Han as well. I just realised who's basically in it for what ten minutes. Yeah. yeah. And he's 
he doesn't get any good lines either, really, to be fair. They just hint at him, oh, I'll go to, oh, I heard they're doing some crazy stuff in Tokyo. It's like, no, Han, don't go there. <laughs> Which, actually, you end up watching quite a few times during this franchise. Don't do it, Han. Okay. Right, I think that should do. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Neural, Neural Handshake, handshake complete. complete. Yeah, for this time, I prefer the other kind of drift. Where's me car? Nice. <laughs> Yeah.